everybody and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas and I'm here with Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Hey everybody, go check out Mignolaverse.com. Matt Strackbine has a new cartoon on there. But um, it's a spoilery cartoon, so you guys probably can't read it. But our listeners who are caught up on BPRD Devil You Know, if you've read up to issue 15, you can check it out. It's a really good comic strip. I have bookmarked it. So I can go back and look at it once, yeah. <laughs> once we get past that. Or to that, I guess. Matt shared it with me. He said he was emailing with Scott Alley about his reaction to BPRD 15. And Alley suggested I make a comic out of it, which I did. I wanted to share it with you guys, but only if you've read the latest issue already. Otherwise, it's too much of a spoiler. So yeah, um, it's really good. Go check that out. And also check out Matt at the Letter Hack podcast. Really good podcast. I've been listening to it. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah I like it's enjoyable. It. I was sharing on Twitter the post-asylum video of the Hellboy Pancakes cartoon. Did you guys check that out? It was super cute. Mm, my God, that was so amazing. <laughs> yeah, so go check that out. I don't know who post-asylum are, but they put together this really awesome fan-made cartoon of the Hellboy Pancakes short. It was really adorable. So give them some love online. Man, it is very well done. It's like, you know, it's got that kind of 3D animation, but also still kind of looks cell animated. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely go check that out. You will enjoy it. <laughs> Thanks, Bennett Reynolds on Twitter for giving us some love. He said, been catching up on the Hellboy Book Club and got to the Black Flame episode, and I'm crying about Roger again. Aww. And yeah. so I was like, hey, man, it's all good. You know, we all need a good cry every now and again. And then he posted that gif of Tobias from Arrested Development crying <laughs> in the shower. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Hey, you damn guys. Is that a monkey? He's got a gun some feedback regarding our BPRD short stories episode regarding the haunted boy. Jerry Turnbull said, Patrick Reynolds does not get enough love. He's an amazing artist. When you complete the Hellboy verse stories, will you go on to Joe Gollum in Baltimore? Yeah. And so we might do that. We'll, we'll see. We're still kind of a long ways off from that, but we will see some more Patrick Reynolds art as we go along through the series. And Jerry Turnbull also said, we will see more of agent Vaughn later, especially in the Abe Sapien series. He also said, mild thread hijack to show off my Kevin Nolan originals. And did you check out those originals that he had in the, I that did. he posted in the thread? I really liked the, the Alan Moore one. It yeah. was just like, holy shit. It was awesome. And then there was also a Doctor Strange. And Jason Abaddon, he also sent me his Kevin Nolan Doctor Strange. He's got a cup of tea. I was showing that was you so that good. one. Yeah, yeah I really oh, that man. one a lot. You have to show me that one later. Yeah. Robert Green said... Just read The Haunted Boy the other day. I love the little nod to the poltergeist. And so there was a poltergeist poster, right? Or something like that on the wall? Yeah. In mm -hmm. the kids' room. There were some other pop culture posters in there. And Jan Niklas said... Three Jan Niklas! Yeah, book club member. He said, three thoughts. Not much to say this time as I try to catch a mouse alive. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Good you're luck. able to, yeah, I hope Good you're able to catch that mouse. Like, keep us updated on that. That's not easy. We've had to deal with that at the house. Yeah. And then just the dogs do a crazy after. Oh, yeah. Now. He said, could the witch work as a mirror to Liz in BPRD The Dead Remembered? 
Both have suffered a lot, but Whittier was eaten up by her anger and grief in the end, as could Liz if she doesn't open up. Yeah, so I thought that was a good comparison there between those two characters, because we saw that Liz was kind of trapped in some sort of loop with her where she was going through the same thing that she had gone through. Oh, yeah, definitely. I really like that kind of like um, interpretation. Yeah. And he also said, do you think Abe did a Bogart monologue during his trench coat time? <laughs> so that was pretty I, good. <laughs> I really hope so. <laughs> and he also said the ectoplasmic man only appeared as a limited single issue in German. So I had to buy it separately. I do like this the most because it's a perfect origin. That is also a good story in itself. It shows Johan's more compassion side, but also that he has some screws loose. Perfect first entry into the character and the BPRD. Yeah, so thanks for your feedback, Jen Niklas. Yeah, thank you. Danny LaPlante over on Twitter, he said, The Dead Remembered is one of my all-time favorites. And Jason Abaddon also loved The Dead Remembered. He said, Carl Moline is the coolest guy you'd ever meet at a convention. Super personable and humble. He drew a great HB Abe Liz piece. He's crazy talented. Definitely go meet him at a show. I think part of Liz's problems relating to Professor Broom and vice versa is because Broom is the essential old school British gentleman and his own unease around Liz might have been much to do with her being a girl as anything to do with her powers. And to mid-1970s Liz, Broom is probably stranger than Hellboy could ever be. Ooh. Yeah. I like that. (laughs) And regarding the ectoplasmic man, he said this really shows how Johan's sense of justice has always been about punishment for the guilty, a theme we'll see again and again in his later time with the Bureau. I think that might be part of why the lobster is drawn to him. They both share the mindset of punishing evil. Yeah, I really like that interpretation. I never actually thought about that. Yeah. And regarding Trenchcoat Abe, Jason Abaddon said, I think he's got an old school Invisible Man thing going. Maybe it's Liz's fondness for classic movie monsters influencing the Abe disguise. And Wes Mattis also agreed. He says he does have an Invisible Man look or even Dark Man. Oh, man. Yeah. And I know that Mignola is a fan of all these like different horror movies yeah. and stuff like that. So maybe he was they're drawing some uh, inspiration from the Invisible Man there. Because, yeah, he does have that kind of look. Yeah, it would definitely have to be probably the Invisible Man because Dark Man wouldn't come out for another 10 years. Oh, right. <laughs> Which it was a great movie. Yeah, that is a good movie. I like that one. That's Sam Raimi, right? Yep. And yeah. Liam Neeson. At Fake Pliskin on Twitter, he said, One of the things I'd wish they'd bring back, the trench coat. That and Hellboy's short coat from Wake the Devil. And Mark Tweedo also gave us some feedback on Twitter. He said, I can confirm the Murder, She Wrote connection for the Ogopogo. Scott Alley is a big fan, and as I recall, he had been doing a big marathon just prior to writing this one. And so after he posted that, Elizabeth Alley, Scott Alley's wife, actually came in on Twitter and she said, I made him watch it all twice. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Mark Tweedo also said, as far as we've seen Abe showing up in The Haunted Boy in his coat is the first time chronologically we've seen him don this disguise. He's still very self-conscious at this time. I think he wears the disguise again in Seat of Destruction because he, a fish man, is being called to investigate frogmen. He wants to distance himself from them, and he retreats back into the coat. Even before he sees them, he's scared of what they might mean. Yeah, so I really yeah. like that. Great feedback, Mark Tweedo. Mark Tweedo, book Mark club Tweedo. member. Mark <laughs> Tweedo. Did you want to say something? I did, actually. Go ahead. Uh, 
So I just wanted to share with everybody. You have the floor, Aubrey, book club (laughs) member. (laughs) I just wanted to share with everybody that uh, today is 11 days without smoking. That's 11 days. All right. Good job, man. By the time you listen, by the time the podcast out, it'll be 14 days. But yeah, uh, I've been meaning to do it for a long time. I finally did it and it's not easy, but so worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats, man. That's that's really tough. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, we're all cheering you on. Well, he 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 said it's going to be 14 days. I like that optimism and enthusiasm. Yes, I yes. think that that's the approach to take. You know, even when you when you uh, are feeling like dog shit. Yeah, <laughs> which I know that sometimes you definitely are, and I know that that is enough to make you want to go back. But like. Stick with it, man. Yeah. That kind of behavior is the hardest thing to change, but the rewards for it are just, you oh, know, yeah. are yeah. really worth it, man. You're gonna, you're gonna get there. Yeah, yeah, good job, and thank you, thank you. All right, and now we're gonna get into our book club discussion for the week. This week we're gonna be talking about some Abe Sapien short stories, and we're gonna start off with Abe Sapien, Land of the Dead. Land of the Dead is a one shot published in December 2013. And also as Abe Sapien issue 18. It's collected in Abe Sapien volume 9 trade paperback and in the Drowning Omnibus. Written by Mignola and Scott Alley. Art by Michael Avon Oming. Yeah. I fucking love Oming. Uh, colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. Yeah, we have an awesome Oming cover. This is also a very rare single issue cover. And you can kind of see... On the bottom, on one of the fish, it says Avon 2013. Do you see that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I do. I like that, yeah. Do you have it? The single no, issue? I don't have this issue. I don't want to spend like 50 bucks on it, which is what I see it going for sometimes. No, uh, yeah, I hear you. We open in January 1983 in Brooklyn, New York, at the home of Professor Broom. And Broom makes himself a 7-7. Seven and seven. He does, but he calls it like a Casa Noble. No, well, he says um, he offers Abe a Casa Noble, and he says, in honor of your successful trip. So Casa Noble is a tequila. I think that's why Broom offers it to him. Okay, well, then I just sound like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I think Broom is drinking a 7-7. Seven and seven. We see the 7-Up, and we see the Seagram 7 bottle. Oh, Seagram Seven is gross. Get Seagram, <laughs> get Seagram's VO. It's the it's the better Seagram's. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you if you absolutely have to go with Seagram's, oh, yeah, yeah, well, right. exactly. If you're going with Seagram's, otherwise go with like Makers or Johnny Walker or something else, right? You ever, and, you ever do that Knob Creek? Oh, sorry. Uh, go we're ahead, not talking yeah. about we're not talking about bourbon. Uh, <laughs> yes, I've have. never had a seven and seven. Have y'all ever tried this drink? I don't think I have. Drink? Yeah, but now I kind of want to try one, especially <laughs> now that I know that's what Broom drinks because he's like he's pretty awesome. Uh, is he though? There. Um, Sometimes he is. They're all right. I wouldn't say no to one if it was offered, but I wouldn't go out of my way to get one. Right. <laughs> and they start talking about Shibaba. It's also, I also see it pronounced as Zibalba and also Kshibalba. So I don't know which one is the correct, uh, what were you going to say? I looked it up on like YouTube yesterday okay. and, and I heard it like, I didn't think they said Zibalba. Zibalba, yeah. But then again, like you said, you've heard it other ways. So. I saw a d- bunch of different pronunciations for it, but for the purpose of this, we'll just say Zibalba. They reference the Popol Yol which is the most important Mayan religious book written in the classical Quiche language, contains mytho-historical narratives of the Maya kingdom of Highland Guatemala, and it also includes their creation myth. So this Popol Yol book describes this place, Zibalba, which is the Mayan's concept of the afterlife, is inside this cave. And Abe says that he saw caves in this mission that resembled the descriptions where the Mayans got this concept. 
and Broom proposes that the cabin was the was actually the mine underworld. Abe says Macklin didn't believe that one, but one of the guys that worked for him was convinced. And so we cut over to Campeche, Mexico. This is a Mexican state on the Yucatan Peninsula, and there's this guy, he's telling Abe about the path to Zibalba. There's supposed to be a house of bats and a house of knives. And he talks about how they found this cavern and it was full of stalactites and stalagmites. So that's where they think like the house of knives would be. Mm, and I like this idea yeah. that the Mayans would come across this and they would call it house of knives. Yeah, it's or pretty sweet. yeah I like that. So a uh, quick question real quick. So he's in Mexico and this is 83. When was uh, Hellboy in Mexico again? I can't remember. I know I could have just looked it up, but it's better to ask. It's, it's more fun to ask you. It's in the, it's in the 50s. Oh, so. oh the 50s. That was way off. <laughs> Yeah, that's way, way off. Mayans are pretty fucking baller. Yeah, we get all these nice references to there, and a lot of these are very accurate with the actual legends. They do talk about the House of Bats and the House of Knives. They have some sweet-ass legends. They really do. Four of the guys went down there, but only one came back, and he saw something moving in the water, but he booked it straight out of there, so Abe can't interview him. We looked for the others, but this goes too deep, too far back. For us, anyway, the guy tells Abe. And I like this nice transition of Abe going into the water. Omi does a really good job with these shots. I like this one where he's like just going in there, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very nice. But I like the uh, the idea of like some guy saw something in the water and he's like, nope, I'm out. Right. <laughs> yeah. I like, um, well, speaking of Oming's art, the next page here is, um, I always really like it when an artist will play with the composition of a page. Right, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Like it's... Of course, panels are, you know, going to be the staple and everyone's got to work with that. But when you kind of subvert the idea of panels and kind of take it like you are illustrating the narrative in maybe kind of a different way. Right. This this is um, this page really is a good example of an artist doing that. I really appreciate his approach to to some of these moments in the story where he'll he'll kind of take the idea of panels and play with it and play with the way that the page is arranged. Right. Oh, yeah. I just really like that. Yeah, it's a very, very nice panel layout. I, I like it. Yeah, and it's hard to pull off because we're doing yeah. two things here. We're doing one where it's referencing that Abe and Broom are having this conversation, but then we're also flashing back into what Abe is describing that happened in that moment. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. It's kind of like it's framed in this really nice way. It's a really, it's a really well illustrated, but it's also it's it's like you said, it's hard to do. It's dangerous to kind of try and yeah. yeah. So it's it's a more artistic approach. And it's not something you see a whole lot, so it really, yeah, I really, I really dig it. And I like it's kind of like a, a flowing look because he's yeah. like in the water and all that. So, yeah. And so Abe describes to Broom something slamming into him in the water. The water is crystal clear, but Abe only caught a glimpse out of the corner of his eye, and Abe is cut. And just like Danielle said, there's this really nice blood effect kind of flowing through the page that kind of guides you. Abe he swims under and he finds this divided pathway. And then he emerges from the water and finds this cavern. But I really like this page where he kind of looks and he finds this um, Mayan temple. And then this bottom panel where it's just his head coming up out of the yeah. water. Oh, man. Yeah. Love, that's probably one of the, the coolest looking panels with his head It's really cool. Out. And, of course, got to give it up to uh, our colorist here. Dave Stewart. Dave yeah. Stewart. Because, yeah. I mean, as always, Dave Stewart is amazing. But um, just... Kind of looking closely at it, you can really see just all the different, you know, his own, he's got his own homemade right, Photoshop brushes yeah. and all the textures oh, yeah. and the, the, just the different, um, tones. Yeah. 
are so subtle. There's all these different, just in his face here, all the greens and all the blues. Yeah. And anyway. Yeah. It's really nice. You could spend forever just looking at one page. And it to me, it evokes like a classic monster image, you know, like the creature of the Black Lagoon coming out of the creepy. water. It's super creepy. It makes you feel yeah. cold. Like the whole, the fact yeah. that the page is so dark too. It's all black yeah. instead of panels against a white, which again is another thing. He doesn't always have, it's not always the same, you know, and um, on the next page here when it transitions into the lighter background, it's because he's just met someone who is alive. Right. I feel yeah. like that's, oh, it's all dark and creepy and death. And then, oh, someone is alive. It, the page brightens up a little. I guess that's what I got out of it. Yeah. I no, I do like that. And then also, you know, the way that Abe comes out of the water, it does kind of evoke that monster effect. And then this guy is scared when he sees him. Yeah, too. exactly. He's like, oh, no. Yeah. Yes. And he freaks out. He asks if Abe is the Chak Uab Zak. And that is a Mayan fish god, also known as the Great Demon Shark. So he's expecting to see all kinds of Mayan yeah, gods yeah. and stuff now at this point. He's, right. he's, he's been through some shit. He's kind of gone crazy down there. <laughs> well, I don't know if he's gone crazy because he actually did see. Right. Uh, well, well, we're going to get into that. Well, but. Yeah. We, well, I mean, crazy from like isolation and terror and things like that. Right. Maybe paranoid is the more uh, is a better term. But well, maybe he's just stressed the fuck out. Right. Like. Yeah. <laughs> And, well, he tells Abe that he needs to get him out of there, that yeah. Kamazot's god of night lives underwater. He's like you. He's a big white bat, he says. And so we saw a reference to Kamazot's in the Hellboy Mexico stories. When his friend Esteban turned into that big giant yeah. bat, they called him Kamazot's. And also popped up in the movie. Yeah, you're right. And James thinks he's been down there for weeks, but Abe says it's only been four days. Abe tells James he needs to leave him and go deal with the bat creature. But James freaks out more, and he's afraid the white bat will come back. He's like, we did our mission. They found Zibalba. Now I just want to go home. And we see the other dead bodies there, and they have vampire bites on their necks too, right? So Abe is like starting to uh, realize what's going on there. And we kind of cut back to him telling Broom about it. Abe says it was tough leaving James there, but all he could think of was the word vampire. Yeah, so think about this. You go down there as a rescue mission, and then you find all this other stuff. Yeah. And he's just down there by himself, too. I also like that you, you don't really get a lot of vampires underwater in a cave kind of situation. I mean, maybe yeah. you do get them in the caves, but never, you, know, you don't really ever see the underwater aspect. So that was kind of a nice little... Yeah, a twist. It's a good yeah spin on it because I think we kind of grew up in that era of well, not necessarily grew up, but I think when the vampire thing started, the whole cr- when there was re- mm. when there was a resurgence in the vampire. There was kind of a yeah. I, Anne Rice kind of kicked off this thing. Was it Anne Rice who kicked it off? I can't even remember. It's probably her. Uh, well, and then it, well, it waned a little bit, and then with Twilight, it all kind of came and Blade, back. and we yeah. had all this. Then, but then there's like the Vampire Diaries, a TV show, and Underworld, all that kind of, yeah. oh, and then yeah. True Blood, and then I, which I've True never Blood. seen. Yeah, you're right. But and then we had the uh, what's it called, uh, the sparkly ones, Twilight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then for a while, I don't know if if you guys Twilight have ever heard about From this. Park but... and Recreation. <laughs> Do you watch Park and Recreation? Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that guy. What's that actor's favorite. name? I don't know, but I just love He's that amazing. He's in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Anyway, uh, people were playing this thing, the LARPy thing. Vampire the Masquerade. That one. And then uh, there was a lot of, you know, just the general permeated the... There were so many different movies right. and shows. And, oh my God, Buffy and oh, yeah, all this. Yeah. How could I forget that? And then there's just so much. It kind of permeated pop culture for a really long time. And there was just a... A whole thing about it. And if you were even somewhat goth in middle or high school, people, oh, what are you a vampire? You know, right, it was just yeah. the whole thing. And so, 
yeah, I think to see it connected to something that's not a part of like modern North American culture yeah. is really cool. And it's not like the Victorian vampires. It's not British like, vampires yeah. or something. To, you know, it's it's this, oh, there's this Mayan legend and you're in an underwater fucking cave and it's very creepy yeah. and there's monsters and it's very, yeah. So yeah. he, you get a really dangerous idea. of It's not like a bunch of boring, puffy, lace-frilled guys talking in a room for a long time. It's, you know, his face when he comes up from the water, he's got this grim determination on his face, which another right, yeah. sidetrack, I love the way... Oming draws Abe. I really do. And yeah, uh, it's just a yeah. really good... He's got a good style. He's got a good design. Yeah, like, you, like you're saying, Aubrey, I I have to agree with you there that it's cool to see this set and setting uh, just a little different. You kind of take the threat more seriously. He's like, oh, vampires. Like when he's saying vampires, yeah. he's like, oh, these are really dangerous monsters. This is scary. Yeah. 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 You're not thinking like this... Uh, Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Like we both went there. I am a vampire. <laughs> and yeah. so Abe has to go deep underwater to find the Mayan temple. And here we see the Mayan depiction of Camazot. So when I did my research on Camazots for the Hellboy in Mexico episode, I did find this Mayan relic and it looks exactly yeah, like this. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, so that's a, so they did some good amount of research and Omin really went to town on the detail on this page. It's really amazing. Oh, it is. It's, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I love his work. And I we get another little shot of Abe at the bottom corner and... Um, I think that's just a good little panel. Yeah, I, I like mean, that. it just, he really sets the stage that this is like just very, this cold, creepy, yeah. you know, area, isolated area. These bones laying just under the surface of the water yeah. and all this stuff. And the next page, even like, there's no dialogue. Again, we've talked about that before. There's no dialogue here. Right, and so Abe finds this kind of conquistador sword and yeah. helmet. No, and so not, he it's takes. Not, it's not conquistador. It's more because uh, you see, it's got the helmet and okay, the, and the, it's more like the Prussian thing that we find in. Oh, later. nice. Okay, Aubrey. good job, Aubrey. There with the, with the historical. Save. Yeah. yeah, but I, I, I dig the um, the little detail shots that we get to. Yeah. He takes his time with the pacing here, which is. You know, I love to see an artist really pull that off. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's almost like a, you know, Batman thing going on kind down here. Batman yeah. thing I hate bit. to throw no, Batman good. out there, but it, we don't really see Abe in that kind of way, you know, but he does do a great job He with has that. proven himself to be a badass. He really has. He really is. Time and time again, though. And so Abe finds all these caskets. And so he's like, thought so. He knew that the vampires would be in there. And he just gets ready to go to town, Abe right? Abe Sapien, vampire hunter. Yeah. <laughs> I'd and, watch that movie. And, he is getting ready to go to town here. And so he opens up one of the caskets in order to start stabbing the vampires. And this shape emerges from behind him. And it's that giant white vampire creature, right? And it's also paced very nicely, too. Yeah. When I uh, when he first opened that casket, and I looked in. I was like, "Is he hanging out with? Is that a Jeresco guy?" Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, he does kind of look like him. But I know it's not Jeresco, but it's like maybe he's part of his posse. I was <laughs> thinking, and this is this is again my um, indoctrination okay. of v- vampire lore or whatever. But why he, he's going to stab this guy with a metal sword? Isn't it has to be made out of like iron or wood or something very specific, silver? Uh, or something like that. I thought he was going to chop like his head off or something. Oh, chop the head off. You can decapitate them. You know. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I don't know because I think later we do see him. I I don't know if... He stabs him through the chest, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. I wonder if the wooden stake, does it have to be a wooden stake? Like, is that just something that's 
part of the American oh, myth it's, or yeah, something. Exactly. That's what I'm know. wondering yeah, if I'm know. just been into too wasn't that in um, rigid in my vampire hunting. Wasn't it lore. in Bram, Bram Stoker's book, The Dracula? The, that it had to be a wooden stake. Yeah. I don't but, know. You know, I mean, a Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I and like it's got. There's something to do with silver or some bullshit or yeah, with I, the thing we talked about this before. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm well, just, it's like you've heard of that that saying. He's like, "How do you kill a vampire?" And it's like any way you want because they're not real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go, exactly. But Abe has a good fight with this giant vampire thing, and it's like, um, I don't know, how do you describe this guy? He's like a... He looks like a fish guy, kind of. Yeah, he kind of looks like a vampire fish... It's like a fish bat guy. Yeah, and it attacks Abe and tosses him aside, but Abe is able to come and get a good slice at it. And he kicks at one of the coffins, breaking it. And so Abe turns to uh, to keep fighting this big one, and then another one kind of rises from behind him. Wasn't that the original guy that he opened the casket? Oh, it was. Yeah, and that's so the one. That's the one the that. Dude. Yeah, you're right. So the original casket that he opened. Now that vampire stands up. I like how he starts giving a monologue, and Abe's just like, "Shut up." <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> says. Uh, what are you? What are you that disturb our sleep in this temple, this place created to honor us since times unknown? Which is just a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, and Abe just uh, stabs him. Yeah, and he tells him to shut up. And when he pulls the blade out, the vampire is like laughing at him. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so this other monster freaks out, and he's coming after Abe. He's coming at him. Well, then he chops this one's head off too. Yeah. 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 Decapitates him. And then he turns to keep fighting the big monster one. They, yeah, they have a pretty epic fight. And he drops his sword and gets bitten. And he draws his knife at the same time. So we've seen that knife a couple times. He's always got like all these different yeah. weapons on him, which I like. You know, he does like the close quarter fighting. Oh, yeah. And he stabs the shit out of this vampire monster. And then and, I like and, how in the rubble, there's this other guy's like, ah. He's like trying Abe, to get out of the rubble. And and then the when you turn the page, Abe immediately chops his head yeah, off. It's so great. he doesn't even get a chance to do anything. But I, I really it's like that. It's a good that. comedy beat, I think. If it And you would miss it if you weren't really like paying too much attention but i th- you know if this was animated that would be just absolutely hilarious to me i'm yeah. i'm such a sucker for shilling well and- i'll say it reminded me of that one hellboy story that we read where the the spear gets pulled out of the vampire and he's oh, like yeah. i am a luck yeah it's a very it's you're a- absolutely right it's, it's almost like a callback to that yeah yeah, but I also want to talk about these top panels because I really like the dynamic and kinetic energy as they kind of thrash around. Abe is really stabbing at this thing. Like, he's got both of his oh, hands yeah. on the blade and he's, like, digging it in there. It's really awesome. Okay. And so it, it, we kind of cut back to where Broom and Abe are talking. Broom says, it might have been helpful to know what they were doing there. Sorry, Abe responds, but I wasn't going to try capturing one. I didn't want any more surprises. Yeah, this is such a clinical. <laughs> yeah. In the, this very calm office setting. Yeah. It's such a fucking. And Abe's just like, uh, yeah, no. I'm not gonna do that. Yeah. <laughs> he seems a little. He seems a little out of touch here. It's well, just a very well. You could have brought one back, and Abe's like, "Could I have that?" Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, um, you can understand because Broom goes on to talk about how like the vampires are have kind of like up and disappeared, and he wondered right. if they were all dead. He thought that he might get a clue in that cavern, yeah. and we also see that Abe he stabs the last vampire just through the casket without even opening it. Yeah. yeah. Why bother? Smart. <laughs> But we all know where the vampires have gone. <laughs> right. So, well, Broom, he pulls a book from his library. 
Maybe, Abe says. You sent me to look for divers, though. I just wanted to save at least one. And we see Abe. Yeah, that was he, the whole point of the thing. Yeah, he came back for James. And I think also we talked about with the other Abe stories that we've read, he feels really guilty for all those people dying in his yeah. first mission. So I think he's like, I at least I wanted to bring back here. one guy. you know, One person. And, and I like that he came back for James because a lot of these guys mostly die. You know what I mean? Yeah. So oh, yeah. it's nice to see that he actually did get this guy back. And, you know, hopefully that guy got some help or whatever. Oh, and, and this goes back to what Aubrey was saying before about the Prussian. he was Prussian. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, but also b- before that... Oh, um, sorry, I'm skipping ahead. No, that's okay. I'm just on the top of the page because we see those candles are there and then they go out. I love a then, good candle melting over a skull. Can yeah, I say that? But then Abe yeah. says he can't find it. He couldn't, he couldn't find his way back. He yeah. went back looking for it and he couldn't find it. I wonder if the... It made me think, like, I wonder if those candles or whatever held, like, some sort of... Absolutely. The, it, it was related to the opening of it or... It's definitely the ability magic. to access it or something like yes. that, so... Well, I just assumed that because the candles went out, it was just way too dark It was to too see. dark to him to see. Yeah, uh-huh. maybe. He should have brought, like, a, like an underwater flashlight with it's him. It's like a magic... <laughs> it's like a magic thing. So I guess they get to keep their secrets, Abe says... And Broom mentions the vampires might have been Prussian mercenaries sent by King George against American revolutionaries in the 18th century. And this is probably a reference to the Hessians. The Hessians were German soldiers that were hired through the rulers of six German principalities by the British Empire in the 1700s. Over 30,000 Hessian soldiers were hired to fight against the American rebels during the Revolutionary War. I like the thing where they mix the real stuff in with yeah, the Yeah, the historical fiction. Stuff. Historical fiction. Yeah. And Broom says maybe King George was employing vampires. Also, vampire sightings markedly dropped off around this time, and Broom wonders if they found the cavern and decided they were meant to find it and stayed. Were you going to say something? I was going to ask about this picture he's looking at. Yeah, so Broom, he suspects that the albino was Prussian and guarding and retrieving food for the others. And he opens up one of his books to a picture of Simon Anders. That's what I was going to ask. Was that Anders? (laughs) And so the vampire incident, I guess it has him thinking about his sure. first Hellboy cursed son. And so it makes me think, like, I wonder if if Broom had not died in Seed of Destruction, would he have this similar feeling towards Hellboy? Because we know that Hellboy, he quits the Bureau and all this kind of stuff and goes off on his own adventures. And, you know, Kate just gets this weird postcard from him. And if Broom was still alive, I wonder if, because it seems here like he's still thinking about Anders. You know, I wonder if he would have that same kind of, I don't know, pining for Hellboy or worry right. about him, you know. Do you think he would have quit had had he not died? I don't know. I mean, I uh, guess it all depends. Would that thing with Roger, would, would that have happened if Broom was there? Yeah. You know, because maybe that wouldn't have happened at all. And then, right. yeah, that's really neat. It's really a Man. nice thought experiment to go down. Man, I would hope that Broom wouldn't be the kind of person that would want to put a bomb on Roger. Yeah. You know, because... Because if it did happen... No, nah, he wouldn't fucking do that. Uh, well, here he's yeah. disappointed Abe didn't get any clues or whatever from the vampires. Yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> a little out of touch, but he's not a fucking... He's not going to do that. Abe asks, so the other one swam around there for 200 years? Hmm, Broom says. It does seem unlikely, but I've often wondered, where are the vampires? The end. Yeah, so I get the sense that he's still thinking about Anders, you know, and yeah. he's still kind of just it, it. It's just a nice little reference to all that stuff that happened in the forties. I uh, was also wondering if he was like, you know, thinking about Anders because of the whole thing that happened with Anders, and he was going to go off and like kill vampires or something. You know? Oh, right, you're yeah. right. Yeah, because that's yeah. what Anders told him he was going to do. Yeah. Huh. This next story. 
Yeah, so now we're going to talk about witchcraft and demonology. Fuck yes. This was published as a one-shot in January 2016 as Abe Sapien issue 40, and it's collected in Abe Sapien volume 9, Lost Lives. And it's so fucking baller. And in this drowning omnibus, written by Mignola and Scott Alley, illustrated by Santiago Caruso. Santiago Caruso is a dark symbolist artist with an attraction to the surreal and macabre. Born in 1982 in Argentina, Caruso's avant-garde concepts are rooted in decadentism and dark symbolism. Caruso's techniques range from tempora and ink on paper to scratched mixed-media pieces on cardboard. Working on book illustrations and music albums, Caruso's art often has a highly narrative approach that makes viewing it almost an investigative process. Fuck yes. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Love it. And in the sketchbook, Scott Alley writes that Mignola sent him a bunch of Caruso's books from Argentina, and they came up with a story that would take maximum advantage of his illustration style. I gotta say, I'm loving this cover. Yeah. And so this cover is by Max Fumara, whose art we greatly enjoyed in BPRD 1948. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. It says later that night. So this is the same night that oh, yeah. they just uh, that Abe and Broom were talking. And so as we go back into Broom's apartment, we see that Broom is getting his drink on. He really is. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Okay. So when was the uh, last story published? The last story was published 2013. So this is three years later. Oh man, that's so awesome. I like it when like you know. Yeah. Three years later, he drops right in, right, and even got the seven and seven. Yeah, exactly. Man, that's pretty awesome. And Broom, he's looking at John T's Tuba Veneris. The Tuba Veneris is a grimoire written by John D in Latin in 1850. The book consists of D's detailed instructions for communicating with angels and employing their aid for practical purposes. It has been translated into many languages, and because Broom references that. The loose sheets are the translation in French. And when I Googled it, I actually found, like, the third result was, like, a PDF to the English translation. So I was able to translate the whole, I mean, to download the whole grimoire and check that out. So, yeah, if you want to look at that, it's an actual book. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I like how how Abe is like, oh, there's no more 7-Up. He's like, ah, just give me some of this (laughs) terrible (laughs) liquor then. Abe, he pulls a book out of the library and he says, what about this? And so the book says, Witchcraft and Demonology, A Practical Guide for Witches, Warlocks, and Covens by Gustav Strobel. Nice. And I love this little moon mood shot in the corner Right. right there. And as soon as Abe pulls the book, this bird flies up. We kind of see it come into this panel under the moon. Love it. Cool. Strobel indeed, Broom says. This came out in 1923. The author took his name from a 19th century sorcerer who'd been dead 50 years, claiming to be Strobel himself, raised from the dead by Satan. The book, he said, repaid that debt. Quite a sales pitch, to be sure, making Strobel stand out among the lunatics and charlatans who'd written similar books. This book did gain some notoriety in the 1950s when it was released in paperback, it coincided with a rising interest in the occult, and a number of young people who got a hold of the book experimented with what they read. Didn't we uh, see a young person doing that in Buster Oakley? Oh, Aubrey, you win. <laughs> yeah, so this, is, so this is a nice callback when we read Buster Oakley Gets His Wish. This was the book that that kid was reciting from, and also the same book at the end. So I really like that callback. 
and yeah, I mean, what can you say about Caruso's artwork here? Amazing. Um, it's just Which really, I, it's it's just really beautiful. It's hard to describe. It's really incredible. Yeah, I really yeah. like it. And I just want to point out really quick. Whereas I think. Normally, we would get something like a raven or a crow, which are very cool and awesome right. birds, and I love them. Uh, this appears to be a starling. Wow. Okay. Good job. Thank you, cool. Danielle. Broom says the Bureau had to confiscate all the copies. It was a strange time, and Broom says he's going to go off to bed, and Abe says he'll clean up after his drunk ass. <laughs> <laughs> And then suddenly this weird guy, Dr. Mallory, shows up, right? This guy's weird. And he, and he asks Abe for broom, and Abe tells him he's gone to bed. And so Mallory's like, were you guys talking about Strobel? And Abe says it wasn't much. Well, you must know about the black school, Mallory says. And he starts to open up the book. And again, we like Danielle said, we saw that bird. This guy's got a kind of a Vincent Price without a mustache look. I yeah. love it. <laughs> Strobel. And so he starts telling Abe all about Strobel's history. He was a little nerd being a bookworm. And then one night he had this really fucked up dream. He saw this creepy vision of his landlady and something went through him. And he seemed to wake up in a classroom with other boys. This page is fucking wild i love it yeah and he says um so this went on and they went to this black school every night yeah so uh, this is really amazing and so we see all the kids surrounded by all these um book cradles right and uh all the drawings on the chalkboard and everything lessons would be laid out for them based on what they talked about so if a kid wondered about if he could turn something into gold then they the next day they found the tabula well, it's uh, specifically led into gold, which right, is led the into gold. whole alchemy deal. Right. And then the next day they'd find the tabula. Smaragdina. Yeah. So this tablet is also known as the Emerald Tablet. Mm-hmm. And the Emerald Tablet was referenced in the Universal Machine. The Secret Fire, the Flama Reconditus, the book that Kate was trying to get from the Marquis, was apparently a transcription of the great emerald tablet, supposedly engraved by a Greek god Hermes on a stone that fell from the head of Lucifer when he was cast out of heaven. But the emerald tablet, and we talked about this a little bit on that episode, the emerald tablet is actually a real thing. It's a compact and cryptic piece of Hermetica reputed to contain the secret of the prima materia and its transmutation. Nice. So I, I always like these kind of references. It really shows that they're not just... Uh, we've talked about this before, but it's very easy to do like occult stuff and just go, oh, and then you... D- some bullshit pop yeah. culture. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. they oh, just yeah. make stuff up that doesn't go... But this is shit that goes deep. But yes, this goes deep into actual items, you yeah. know, that are out there and actual mysterious objects. So I really like that. Talking about the transcendental object at the end of time, y'all. <laughs> After three years, the boys would be let go. The schoolmaster would appear, and they would draw straws, and the kid who drew the last straw was seized by the master. Once a boy ran, and only his cloak remained when the master grabbed him. And so this is also really fucked up, too, right? Like, you know, whoever gets the last straw, this master shows up, and he seizes him. He grabs him. And then some of the kids are like, I'm just going to wear my my jacket real loose, and then run away. Like, (laughs) it's interesting that... So that someone with so many dark powers could be fooled by, like, a jacket falling off, right. I guess. It's kind of weird. Like, <laughs> dang it. Those dang Foiled kids. again. <laughs> I would have gotten away with it, too. If it wasn't for those yeah. kids. I just feel oh, like man. it's just it's just it seems like they would be kind of a right. little more to it than that. But anyway. But Strobel, he actually wanted to be seized. He wanted to be grabbed by the master. Yeah, he said instead of running away... 
He turned around and he's like, hey, man, what else you got? Right. Give me more of this shit. Then a door opened behind him and his real learning began. Fucking yes. Fucking cool. This whole page is badass. Yeah. He's just like kneeling on those spikes. Love it. It is fuck. I love the book. I want this bookcase with the weird demon. Yeah. And then we also see this kind of like a lion demon kind of teaching him. And so we'll talk about this a little bit more, but this is Marboss. Marboss is fucking awesome. Yeah, and just the way that Caruso does this whole page, right around the doorway, there's some Latin, I believe, and it says something like, enter and see how your soul is damned. Oh, it's not French? No, no, I think it is French. Yeah, it says something like that. Just the way he's illustrated this is so fucking... Yeah, and if you zoom in, I mean, you can see all the tiny strokes and everything. It's just really intricate and really detailed. I really like his style here. But as a full... I don't know, when you look at, when you pull it all the way back and you're not zoomed in and you're just looking at it, it just creates this effect where the art looks so full and yeah. kind of rich. I don't know how oh, to yeah. describe the it. The composition is excellent. It looks like a, a very uh, classic painting. It's very, yeah. anyway. And Strobel, there he learned his final lesson. Oh, the shit. end of the world and the devil's army of the damned. And we see this picture. And so I wanted to pull this out really quick. Hold on. I would love to see this as a um, an etching. So I'm pulling out my Hellboy Volume Six, Volume Six Library Edition, and on page three thirty, there's a great Duncan Figueredo, and it's this exact thing. It really is. You see that? Oh, damn! That's so, so awesome. Cool. Except it's like the mirror image of yeah. it, and it doesn't have the right hand of doom. You're gonna have to put that online. Yeah, I'll definitely. For book club members to to gaze upon. Yeah, follow us on and any despair. social media, and you'll be. <laughs> It's fucking amazing, and this—I um, said this before—but it really looks like a an etching right. print, and I would love to see someone actually print that, like actually go through and do like a copper etching or something. I was say it also kind of has a um, like an eighties metal um, album cover look to it. See, I would the like a fifteen eighties. It's like a very <laughs> classic, right? It's like if 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 there were like metal albums back in the day of uh, whoever like Dore. Right. Yeah. You're right. It does evoke that kind of etching style. If you zoom in on this, I really like this detail that this devil on the dragon, he's got like armor around his like waist yeah. and legs. Yeah. You know, I just really like that detail. It's so awesome. This would make a good metal album cover, yeah. man. It really would. And it's it's a it's about the right size for it. Mm-hmm. And so Strobel, he had his own vision of the end of the world and thought he belonged at the left hand of Satan. And so then he woke up in the seminary in Augsburg and it was abandoned, his landlady dead. So he left and traveled. Does it look like his landlady had a uh, Medusa head statue? Oh yeah, you're right. There is a Medusa head statue in the back. Yeah, and if you look at the um, at the soldiers also at the at the bottom of that big devil on the dragon... The soldiers look like the ones that we saw that were going to be Hellboy's army. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Strobel went to Switzerland, and there he met another black school student, a priest. He also drew the last straw, and when he ran, the master grabbed his shadow, so he went through his life without one. It's pretty rad. He was trying to build an automaton who could speak. And so Strobel, he taught all the kids, all the parish children, the names of all the devils. Right, and so he ruined all the priest's work. One evening, 
Strobel saw some witches going to Sabbath, and so he followed one and blackmailed her. And so she taught him how to fly and how to rock this killer goggle mask yeah, thing man. or whatever. <laughs> Santiago's work is just incredible on this page where they're all flying a Sabbath. And so we've kind of seen depictions of this with Hellboy and Darkness Calls, but I really like this one too. It's like a Nine Inch Nails music video. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> does remind me of that Trent Reznor goggles thing that he's got going on in that closer video. I was also thinking of the uh, opinion video. There was also a, oh, a little yeah. bit of this in a per- the Perfect Drug video. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How many Nine Inch Nails videos can we reference? I can reference all of them. And so then later, eventually Strobel's stupid mass offended someone, so they kicked him to the ground and he landed <laughs> in Spain. And the witch that helped him was found dead. And we also learned that he later went back to Switzerland to burn down her house and the priest church that he uh, corrupted. This is quite a timeline. Yeah, it's crazy. So then we cut to... Okay, just let me just... So you're in an office winding down. (laughs) A guy comes in and starts just fucking telling you this shit. Yeah, it's late at night. Okay. You're just kind of like... You know, I would get so engrossed in the story, I kind of forgot they're still in an office. Like, I'm getting night. ready to go to bed. What right. are you talking about? It was like cleaning up, just getting ready to like, yeah, chill Not that for this a isn't bit. a totally badass story, but it's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. So in Salamanca, Spain, Strobel revived a witch who'd been killed for cannibalism. And so now he had a full-out invite to the Sabbath. And I really like this top panel. Is this him like bringing this witch back or whatever? Yeah, that's and pretty sweet. There's like this... Yeah serpent thing around her it's really nice a little sigil going yeah i like this uh panel where he's got a little lantern and all the witches are like hey yeah go for it dog yeah you should totally go over there this door opened up into hell and so this is the first time that he gets scared right so he chickened out he didn't go down there this this is an interesting little passage scared for the first time since entering the black school struggle passed up what might have been the path to his deepest desire so you do all this fucked up shit right you spend your whole fucking life doing this all this messed up shit with the demons and all this and then finally, all the witches, here you go. Yeah. Here's, here's a what door. You want. To, here's what you want. Here's the door to hell. And you're like, eh, uh, I don't know if I want to go not, Maybe not. <laughs> um, maybe no. But then you keep, you're like, but I'm going to keep doing this right, now and yeah. looking for, like, yeah. that That was it. There it was. What are you looking for? What else yeah. are you going to, are you trying to find a, like, I don't understand why he keeps. That's a good point. So let's come back to this when we get to the next page. But no, that was just my initial yeah. thought when I'm reading this. I'm like, okay, there it was. Yeah, no, you're right. So right. what's the point in continuing on with whatever you're doing now? I don't know. Anyway. So he went to Paris next and he fell in love with Catherine Lemieux, a this fortune teller. Quote, this is in quotations here. He fell, fell in, in love. love. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. And so oh, she bought him yeah. a cathedral. Cool. I'm going to buy you a cathedral. What do you think about that? And then they, so they laid this giant iron circle into the floor. And, you know, all their occult-minded pals would just come over and they would conjure demons. Cool. <laughs> Dig it. And so I think to answer your question about why he didn't go down there, I think like it has to do with some sort of, he's still got to have power over it. Sure. If he goes down there, yeah, then... It's him against everything. But if he's doing something like this, they're trapped in this iron circle. Yeah, and he's kind of like, you're right. you yeah. know what I mean? He's in more control. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go down there. He's it's, naked. He's got a lantern. There you go. Versus I'm in here with all my pals and yeah. my wife or whatever. He thinks he's got some sort of power over it. That's interesting. He's like, not like this, though. Right. Okay. And so they conjure up this devil 
Strobel thinks it's the actual devil, but it's just Orobos. And Orobos is a powerful... <laughs> you say just. I mean, he is a prince of hell. I mean, yeah. that's, that's kind yeah. of a big title. That's as high as you can get until you get up there. But Strobel's trying Straight to get to Satan. Satan here. Sure, he sure. Satan, so... This guy's but, pretty cool. He's got a rad horse head. Yeah, Orobos is a powerful great prince of hell, having 20 legions of demons under his control. He supposedly gives true answers of things past, present, and to come, divinity, and the creation of the world. He also confers dignities and the favor of friends and foes. See, I kind of feel like I would settle. I'd yeah. be like, you know what? This is pretty good. You're, this is good enough. You did pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty high up there. That's a pretty good, you know. And so Strobel, he's like, Arobas, give me a job, please. And he, he's like, I'll give you the soul of this lady and all these other people that are here. Like, right? Wait, what? <laughs> Not just some lady. It's his wife. Right. Yeah. Here's my wife and friends. You can have them. You can have them. And uh, so Arobas just laughs at him, shaking the glass in all the windows. And he said what Strobel asked for was impossible. Can I point out the fucking art? Yeah. So we let's talk about the this. weird tracer thing that he yeah. managed to do. Like this is a painting. How did he achieve this? That weird this kind effect. of tool it's kind effect. Of, yeah. It's or, a hallucinatory right, effect. It's yeah. like a when I'm looking at it, I feel like I am actually looking at something yeah. that might like fuck me up forever. Which I love. Yeah, it does give you that effect of like, like, wait, what? This is something that would that would make you go mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's a very. It feels like I'm there experiencing this kind of like like. It's almost. It gives me the impression that humans could not look upon this form correctly. Right. Almost. I like, love that. We couldn't even perceive the fucked upness of it, so that it's kind of wibbly wobbly, interdimensional. You know, and we don't have the capability to really handle it. And right, so just, yeah. he evokes that just with his... Just with that weird effect. I mean, yeah. that's so cool. And yeah. so anyway, I've, I it's rare that you see someone paint a fucking... Uh, paint a hallucination. Well, sequential yeah. art. So it's, it's rare that you see an artist that is a painter pulling off this sequential art with this kind of style and, you know, like this hallucinatory weirdness and it's... um. Anyway, this guy's this guy's work is just fucking phenomenal. And think about what Dave Stewart has to do to ah, also yes. color this, you know, and make it have that transparency right? or that kind of faded yeah. hallucinatory effect. Yeah. Cannot cannot deal with really incredible. I wonder uh, you know, because Dave Stewart gets to paint so many different styles. Yeah. But he manages to find yeah. a painting style. That fits each other person's style, like that in and of itself is such an incredible skill. Right, yeah. So, really cool. Anyway, sorry. So, uh, Catherine went mad and Strobel booked it to Paris. And there he met great 19th century occultists. And so we see Helena Blavatsky, who we know is a Russian occultist, philosopher, and author who co founded the Theosophical Society in 1875. And she's been referenced several times in the Mignola verse. And we also see Alexis Vincent Charles Burbiger. He Burbiger. Burbiger. <laughs> he was a French author and demonologist who lived from 1765 to 1851. He is remembered chiefly for his lengthy autobiography, The Imps, or All the Demons Are Not from the Other World. Burbiger. Originally published in three volumes in 1818 and 1820. And so this autobiography recounts Burbiger's lifelong struggle with imps or goblins. And so he says that these imps harassed him persistently 
ever since he went to this fortune teller when he was a kid. Okay. And for his sin, he was delivered into the hands of impish tormentors. Mm -hmm. And so by research and experiment, Burbager determined a number of herbal and other remedies that had the power to keep the imps in check. And he wrote this book, he relates, to reveal his struggles and his methods to the world. In an eloquent, if presumptuous, dedication, he addresses himself to all the emperors, kings, princes, and sovereigns of the four parts of the world, my lords, fathers of nations, who you represent the heavenly God of peace and consolation on earth, unite your efforts to my own to destroy the power of demons, witches, and imps, and devastate the unhappy dwellers of your countries. You see at your feet the most unfortunate of men, the tormentors with which I have struggled for these 25 years are the best titles that I can bear before your paternal gaze. Ah, the diabolical persecutions of the imps would have long been ended on earth had one of your subjects had the courage to reveal them to you. It is my order to unmask them, that I have dedicated my work to you, that you may not be heedless to my torments, and that you will work to end them now that they are known to you. So this guy probably had psychosis of yeah, some well. sort. You know, but I think it's really interesting that he wrote this whole book, and it's based on his experiences. And, you know, this is a real thing, so you can go look that up if you wow, want. Wow, that is intense. Yeah. Really. Well, and so is could it have been perhaps, a, and I'm not, this is not a joke, by the way. This is not like a funny. Right. Could it have been that maybe this, this incident triggered some sort of a episode for him, like a schizophrenic episode? Right, and then yeah. He, you know, I don't know. Well, he, he related it all to this fortune-telling event that he went to when he right. was a kid. Yeah. And apparently from that moment on he was tormented by these right that's what i'm saying is that like that's maybe where the onset kind of that's so interesting and i feel kind of on one hand i would say oh i feel kind of bad for that person but then what he apparently lived an extremely interesting life also like he was tormented which is awful but then he wrote this book and 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 when you read that passage that's that's kind of why i read the whole thing because it kind of presents that to him this is a noble act he's like look i'm doing this for you guys Look how many people are afraid to talk about this, but I'm not afraid, and I'm going to show you guys how to yeah, rid your life of this kind exactly. of torment. Exactly, he turned yeah. it into something. He was like, I'm, I'm inspired to do something about this. If anything, I guess I'm you could say people. that it's even like a. If he did have some sort of psychosis, it could be an advocacy towards yeah. mental health. You exactly. know, yeah. maybe his herbal remedies, you know, well, are things a- <laughs> that were based yeah. in science sure. that alleviated some of those symptoms. Sure, and I, hmm. I would even. Uh, on the back of that would say like hey maybe he's brave enough to like because people who would say things like i can see imps and goblins right they would be burned <laughs> as a witch maybe but he's coming out like you know what the, a lot of people are tormented by this and it's not their fault right, yes and they need help and i wish that you would uh, allocate resources to helping these people and so yeah maybe in our looking back we can say oh he thought he was tormented by goblins how silly but right. looking back like that's really I thought, no yeah. one had explanations I for I thought this. it was really interesting so when I kind of went down that rabbit hole. He's like hole. hey all you people who are in charge of all the money and resources <laughs> uh, can you please help these right. peasants who are starving and they don't know how to deal with the goblins that are tormenting them yeah. like like I'm dealing with it Yeah, you know so help me figure <laughs> this out so I think that's pretty cool like in, in that context I think he's he's what a cool guy like what an interesting and cool guy you know he wasn't just gonna be like oh i am beset by imps he's gonna do something about it which good for him really cool yeah and anyway so getting back to strobel he didn't like any of these guys he said they created buffers between them and the real power which was satan strobel took some apprentices including this guy de carvajal 
I could not find a historical reference Guillaume. to that. Guillaume is such a fucking cool name. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Carvalho told him that Asmodeus was on Earth in a cave in France. So Strobel went down there and chilled out with him. And we also learned how chill Asmodeus was in The Bride of Hell. Yeah. Wait, we're yeah. skipping over this little familiar guy. Oh, yeah. yeah so I was going to bring yeah, that up, too. Which and is so cool. He yeah. has a familiar, which I, it's not even said how he gets oh, there. Oh, right. He's yeah. just a guy that is hanging out. And the design of this just really reminds me a lot of um, it's it's almost like a like well we already mentioned the tool video thing oh yeah but uh, going uh, back even for like I would say like almost like a a dolly mashed up with like Lee Bontecu yeah. mashed up with like Giger kind of Giger esque kind of um, I just really like it yeah I like this design it's really it's it's unique yeah it doesn't look like anything we've seen before. no it really doesn't and it's very. Um, it it's, kind of fits with that time and that yeah, style yeah. in a weird way. <laughs> it really stands out because I, I really have never seen anything like this. Yeah. And it's very... The six legs kind of invokes a feeling of a squid to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. To me, yeah. it's just but this very... Combined long, with everything else you just mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also maybe like a little Guillermo del Toro-esque, and it's kind of got a little... Anyway, I just really I really dig that. But then, yeah, we see Asmodeus again, and I... I have a I have a fondness for this guy. Like you said, he's so chill. Right. We learned in Bride of Hell that he was just trying to hang out he's with all his out, wives man. and have parties and stuff he's like that. He's trying to hang out and, and they're and they're all down. They're like, This is cool. And yeah. whatever. Strobel's like, I'm gonna take my boots off, have a little drink. He's all sitting on a cushion, he's just partying yeah. partying with him. <laughs> And so we know that Asmodeus is ultimately pummeled and left for dead by Hellboy. But he seems like such a cool guy though. After meeting Asmodeus, Strobel turned from conjuration to necromancy, which is communicating with the dead, and gematria, which is an alphanumeric code of assigning a numerical value to a name, word, or phrase based on its letters. People who practice gematria believe that the words with identical numerical values bear some relation to each other or to the number itself. A single word can yield multiple values depending on the cipher used. And uh, the the panel here where he's, um, I guess this this was kind of a conjuration thing that he used yeah. to do, but now he doesn't do that anymore, I guess. And so the this is that little dragon lizard guy with yeah, the yeah. We we sigil. saw those kind yeah. of in another reference to Strobel. We saw that he had seven of those kind of around him. And so he has this last apprentice here, this familiar looking mustached man. Uh-huh. He challenged Strobel to explore. Hecate, Hyperborea, Vril, Egyptology, but Strobel thought all those things were dumb. And so, <laughs> so who's this? Uh, so who's his apprentice here? It's a uh, Gilly Boy. Yeah, it is. It's Guilford. And in 1866, Guilford killed Strobel, sending him to his great reward. And so this was referenced in Witchfinder in the Service of Angels. After Guilford does this, he's sent to an asylum. And then later there, he encounters Ed Gray and he helps them uh, with their mission. And then he escapes. I like this idea that Guilford, he was just so fed up with his obsession with hell that he's just like, I'm just going to send you there and then you can have it. So then he gets sent to hell and he's he's tortured. Do you want to describe this? No, it is. I don't. Fucking gruesome. I mean, there's like a demon like eating him like in his stomach, and I another one look at this. Yeah, like pulling his song, and another one looks like it giving him a, a pedicure. <laughs> no. A demon pedicure. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, this, I, I'm gonna separate like my feelings about what I'm looking at from the art itself, which right. is to say, the art is incredible. It is. It's amazing, and, and uh, just really, just yeah, compliments 
to the artist, but also horrible. <laughs> yeah, this is just, it's really graphic. It's its pretty gruesome, the way that Strobel gets tortured here. One of the things that I want to point out is this lion guy that's getting yeah, thats yeah. getting his brain or whatever. Yeah. So that's Marbos. Marbos or Barbos is a demon described in the Ars Goetia. He is described as the great president of hell governing 36 legions of demons. He answers truly on hidden or secret things, causes and heals diseases, teaches medical arts, and changes men into other shapes. And that wasn't that his teacher in the black school? Yeah, yeah, and that was his teacher in the black school. And so Strobel says that he recognizes him there. He's like, oh, hey, you know, now you're... So Strobel, (laughs) he's pretty severely tortured. Mallory mentions that Strobel's pain was uninterrupted by delirium, even when the devils turned their attention to other squirming creatures. And so Abe stops him. He's like, squirming creatures? The damned, Mallory says... It's how Strobel described them. Okay, Abe says. I think of it more as... Okay. I think of it more as an okay. (laughs) So Strobel was tortured for years, but eventually one of the demons took a liking to him and was like, hey, why don't you torture some guys too? And Strobel then, he tried to get an audience with Satan due to this connection and this double splash page, again, is just... Amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And so we see this little, this kind of woman demon with all the feathers. She was in the previous page. I think I that's the one. she is a harpy. Yeah. This is the one that I, I guess took favor to him. And so we see him being brought... Such a good... And, and, and it works on... Cause, because, in, you know, it's since it's a double splash page, you know, on one page, she's leading him up the steps and then on the next page but it it flows so nicely that it could be two pages yeah but it could be one big thing i really like it see i kind of read that that these were two other people like just kind of pointing over there like hey check that check out what's going on over here but yeah oh maybe that is that no but i do uh... i I do like your interpretation better because it does it does look like that because it's like he's covered in the cloak and then when he's kneeling naked in front of the, the demon the cloak is on the ground yeah you're right you're right. I didn't even catch that. I like all these guys too in the background. Like, um, there's the the guy on the throne, and then there's the guys surrounding the throne. There's like a pelican guy. There's, there's like, like a, a monkey a donkey. looking guy. Yeah. There's like a donkey guy, a monkey guy. Yeah. There's like a uh, like this donkey guy. This I like one, this eagle eagle headed man. This one in the corner, this stork one, kind of looks like Shax. Oh, the stork. Yeah, the stork. Oh, we one. saw right. in um. That story, uh, the soul of Venice. Yeah, yeah. And then there's this other, this this other guy here. He's got a a bird face as well. I don't know. Anyway, it's and cool. even just like this city all the way in the back yeah. and everything. Yeah. It's just, just like there's so that. much little detail. The statue and all the little skulls around it. And I mean, on all the, um, if you look at the columns down here, one of them's this little skull. There's mm-hmm. just so many little things if you really take your time and linger on these pages. And one of the buildings looks like a griffin with a crown. Right. Yeah. And there's like a werewolf eating a guy down here. There's another guy hanging. Illustrating From, uh, an entire. <laughs> yeah. Illustrating an entire book like this is. I can't even imagine. And then even up at the. Um, like the sky is. Looks like the. Like a. Right. Stag- Stalactites. Stalactites in a cave, but it's. I like to think of it as though, like maybe the clouds are making these formations. Oh wow! And it's kind of like it's kind of like a cave, like you're trapped in there, but it's right. also like the weather. I don't know. Anyway, 
So Strobel was taken to Pandemonium, that's what we're seeing here, and brought before a duke in the Citadel of the Fly. Strobel's like, return me to life and I'll write a book about how awesome Satan is, and he'll get all he'll get more likes on Earth. Yeah. And then in exchange, Strobel will get a station with the army of hell when the world ended. Why does he want that though? It seems like Yeah. Well that was part that that was part of his vision. When he saw that vision of Hellboy on the Dragon in his version of the vision, he ha- he saw himself there too. Yeah, and so he's mm-hmm. like, I need to get there I somehow. I was yeah. I'm supposed to do this. This is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Huh. So Strobel came back to life at the end of World War One, and he thought the world had already ended. He went to America and he wrote his book for seven years, and it held all that he learned at the Black School. And more importantly, there was something in the way it was written, some special rhythm of hell that reached inside a person's soul. Other occultists reviled Strobel's book, discredited him. Yeah, so we see him taking out one of these other guys who thought that it wasn't right for him to put such power into the hands of the people. But of course, power was never Strobel's focus. It was station. Now he just had to wait for a sign. And at the bottom here, we see the other occultists that he's referred to. And so we see Bromhead and Aleister Crowley. Yeah. Right? And then we see um, this first one. I could not figure out who this was supposed to be. And I researched it for a while, and I I could not find that name. I wasn't even really sure what that name was, but I couldn't find anything similar to that. We'll come back to this last guy later in another story. I like at the top panels where he's... um... When he says he came back at World War One, he's he's really got the Invisible Man. Uh, oh yeah, yeah he does. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. Serving Invisible Man. I like the whole thing where he is saying there is something in the way that it's written. Yeah, I like There's that a idea. Special rhythm of hell that reaches inside a person's soul. It's very Lovecraftian kind of idea. Right. Yeah, yeah. I really like that idea. And Abe tells Mallory that Broom said Strobel and the book were fake. And Mallory talks about how they had to confiscate every copy. There's something in the book that gets under the reader's skin, Mallory says. But Broom is just trying to watch out for you. So I feel like Mallory's trying to be like, oh, well, you know, Broom, you know, he's just tra- he's just trying to take care of you because you're new, you know. But this is one of the ways that he's trying to get Abe to read it. Yeah, this is becoming very obvious. And I think that Abe is like, all right, dude, like, <laughs> you're coming on a little strong." You're like, dude, I'm trying to go to bed. Right. <laughs> I don't want to read your book right now. But I think it's also becoming very obvious. He's like, okay, you like, you really want me to read this book. Yeah. And Mallory says Broom actually met Strobel, but he didn't know it was him. The coming of Hellboy was Strobel's sign, and so he kept his distance. But eventually, he met Hellboy in Angkor in Southeast Asia and led Hellboy in a confrontation with a Naga demon, which Hellboy defeated. And so here we get another great depiction of Hellboy and this giant monster. And so in the legends that I read, they have seven heads. Seven head nagas often depicted as guardian statues carved as balustrades on causeways leading to main Cambodian temples, such as those found in Angkor Wat. And so here we get a reference to Angkor. Apparently they represent the seven races within Naga society, which has a mythological or symbolic association with the seven colors of the rainbow. Furthermore, Cambodian Naga possess numerological symbolism in the number of their heads. Odd-headed Naga symbolize the male energy, infinity, timelessness, and immortality. Even-head Naga are said to be female, representing physicality, mortality, and the earth. Yeah, so this one would be male, right, I guess? Yeah. I like Caruso's take on uh, on the Hellboy coming into the universe, uh, to the world again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've seen that a couple times, and now we get to see his version of it. That's really nice. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. 
And then I was trying to figure out what's happening here because, like, this Naga has this kind of... He's trying to get it. Yeah, he's got this thing in its hand and lo- looks like Hellboy's trying to creep around and get it. I was trying to find a reference to what that was, but I couldn't. So let us know if you know what, what's going on in that page. He really gives a lot of weight and, and you can you can see, like, the musculature yeah. of this. Like, he, he'd be a big, strong, heavy monster and that would... You know, you can really get the sense that this monster is breathing and clattering around and the way that it would move and the way that it would, um, you know, you get a sense of like the way that its muscles and flesh would move and it's really amazing art. Mallory says the paperback resulted in a lot of tragic incidents with young people. And we see this demon that kind of looks like Hellboy, right? Yeah. Mallory tells Abe, he wouldn't go crazy if he read it. Not like those boys. And this is where Abe is like, you really seem to want me to read it. (laughs) Mallory says the professor may have pretended not to be interested but the book has a lot of info for someone just starting out not to mention the more you know about Strobel it could serve you well and so Abe just closes the book right and so we kind of see Mallory it looks like he's fading in this panel yeah he's fading out and then Abe uh, says what did you say your name was he looks up it's a bird shadow yeah yeah so we saw that bird that um would you say it was a starling? Yeah. We saw it in the beginning, kind of coming up to the window. And here we kind of see it go out the window. Which I thought was an interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. We see it fly off, and Abe just puts the book away. He's like, I'm done with this. <laughs> I go to sleep shit. now. <laughs> well, I like it when the, when the bird is flying off, the moon has got that red look. And then oh, when yeah. he puts the book back, the moon is back to a normal color. Right. Oh, I love that. Really nice. Yeah, so really awesome, really awesome story. I love this art by Santiago Caruso, and we could just go on and on, but this is definitely one that you want to bust out your back issue for and check it out. Oh, definitely. Before we read this next story, I thought it would be a good time to insert this very kind and informative piece of listener feedback that I received from book club member Lassa Jurgensen. Hi guys, we all know how hard pronunciation of foreign words are, and names are even worse, especially if they're Danish. Regarding Peter Snybeer... The first part of his last name is pronounced as Snai, S-N-A-I, and the sound is like the ending sound of high. The last part, Bjerg, meaning mountain, is normally pronounced like this when it is the ending of a name. Thus, the ending G is silent, and the J is more of an I sound than a typical American J. So a phonetic spelling would be S-N-A-I-B-I. E-R, Snybeer. Talk about having a name that's hard for English speakers. Even for Danes, it is quite uncommon. Oh. And it is a name that you have to read a few times to get the consonants right. Keep up the good work. Snybeer. Snybeer. So thank Snybeer. you so much, Lassa, for helping us out with that. And we're going to go on to the Abyssal Plane. I love this cover. It's like a 1960s movie uh, kind oh, of uh, yeah. Kind of that whole like pop art kind of thing. Yeah, we get another really cover awesome. by Dave Johnson. And so Dave Johnson's been doing some really great covers for a lot of these series lately. It does look like a like a retro movie poster. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I would totally have this on my wall. Sure. <laughs> the Abyssal Plane was published as a two-issue miniseries in June and July 2010. The first issue was published with two covers, one by Dave Johnson and a variant by Peter Snybeer. And colors by Dave Stewart. I like this guy's style. Yeah, and so we we saw him. He was on that War of Frogs issue where there was Mm -hmm. the ghost frogs and all that. And I'll I'll talk about that again later. This is written by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by Snybeer. Colors by Dave Stewart. And letters by Clem Robbins. And we open under the Norwegian Sea in 1949. Someone is writing a letter to Polina. We reveal that we're in a flooding submarine. And this character seems to be like the last man alive, right? 
Yeah. He writes this letter on a crate that says Melchores Bergenet. And so a Bergenet is a visored helmet. The man wonders in the letter why he's writing. The water will get in the aft torpedo room where he is and turn the paper to gruel. This paper and me. He writes that he has hope as long as the generator stays dry. And then just then water gets in the generator, right? And the lights go out. And this scene is really kind of heartbreaking as he's writing this letter. You know, if you, um, as you're reading it, how he's talking about like, there's, it's not even going to be there yet, but it's just kind of his coping mechanism yeah. to get through yeah. this horrible moment. That's what I was thinking. It's like a coping mechanism because, you know, he knows he's about to die. And That's that, the only way that yeah. he can well, pass he, the time and get through it. When he says, know? I think as long as you're alive, you can't really believe that you're going to die. You yeah. know it, but you can't believe it. Right. right. Yeah. And so when the generator goes out, he cries as the room is filling with water, and suddenly he sees Polina. That's this woman that he's writing the letter to, and she's a mermaid. She says, it's all right, Yosef. You are forgiven, forgiven for everything. Now you must let go. And she kisses him. And this is a really beautiful uh, page, and it's kind of like, this is like maybe his last hallucination as he's dying or something. That's uh, kind of what I was thinking of it. Is. Yeah. Yeah. Drank a little too much beer last night at the Aww. at the concert. Right, sorry for the sniffles on this episode. We jump ahead to 1984, and Abe is on an old rusty boat. He talks with his other agent, Salvatore, and Sal tells him that they never find anything paranormal. Yeah, I guess there is such a thing, but I don't know. And Abe has this brief flashback to the drowning on his first solo mission, where he did encounter some very paranormal things, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Abe tells Sal, trust me, you'll see. Ah, geez, Sal says, would you look at this douche? <laughs> <laughs> and we meet the captain, and he's like waving at him, and Sal's like, yeah, yeah, hi there, you friggin' nut. He's practically wetting himself over this trip. And so he, Sal tells Abe, you know, since Abe is there, the captain knows it means something. Something about Melchora's Bergenet. Here we get a historical reference, and here they're referencing the War of the League of Cognac, which took place from 1526 to 1530. This was fought between the Habsburg dominions of Charles V, primarily the Holy Roman Empire, and Habsburg Spain, and the League of Cognac, an alliance including the Kingdom of France, Pope Clement VII, who's referenced in here, the Republic of Venice, the Kingdom of England, the Duchy of Milan, and the Republic of Florence. And they also make a reference to the Battle of Modena. I couldn't find this specific battle, but I did find a reference to Modena in 1527, and I read that Pope Clement actually surrendered there. So here we get a different version of the events. Here they actually win this battle, right? And Melchote's ferocity in battle initiated a miraculous rally. So we see Melchote here, and he's totally been like stabbed with a bunch of arrows and totally beaten but it says he should have died 10 times when he didn't and then as soon as he removed the bergenet he died during world war ii the nazis had the bergenet and the soviet special science services took the artifact after the war in 1946 and so this kind of is a reference to some of the stuff that we saw in bprd 1946 we see this one guy He's carrying this like stone slab and it has Oannes on it. Mm -hmm. And then we see this mummy in the corner that's kind of balled up. They found one like that on Into the Silent Sea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they were able to hook it up to this thing so it could tell them the story. This is right. the Nazis are collecting all this, this stuff well, like, in this a is, hangar. No, this is the uh, distribution of the Nazis loot after the war's over. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they have it at the Kremlin. 
Is that a UFO back there? Behind it looks this, like one. Oh, right. We did see Easter that. Island. Yeah, um, the Easter Island head. Which all that shit should be returned to its original places, yeah. but whatever, anyway. So in 1948, the Bergenet was put on a submarine to go to a Russian mystic to be studied, but the submarine never arrived. The captain comes over to meet with Abe and Sal, and he's a weird guy, right? He seems psyched. Yeah, but he, he's super pumped. He says, the sonar profile's identical to the original findings. Only one thing left to do. The captain kind of looks like the uh, the mascot for like those fish sticks, uh, Captain Gordon's, but a little more <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Like he's been out at sea a little bit too long. Right, yeah. Abe goes down with his welding tool and he opens the hatch. And I really like this panel of him going down there. And I also like thinking about that. Abe knows how to use a, wo- a welding tool yeah. and all this kind of stuff. All these other skills that he's got to have to do this to mission. To be in the But so he opens this hatch. Awful. And I love this effect when you turn the page and then all these dead bodies awful. come swarming out, right? It is so awful and uh, horrific. No, not the living dead, Abe thinks. Just dead. When he first opened the hatch and the, the dead fly out, I thought, holy shit, are we going to have underwater zombies? And right. It's like, no, they're just, they're dead. And then it right. made me think that the, maybe these guys were all like at the hatch or were they going to try and get out right. or, you know, what yeah. was their last moments? And, and then I felt really sad for these guys. Yeah. <laughs> I like how Abe describes this. We get some thought boxes and Abe says, he doesn't feel like a soldier for a good cause. He feels like an intruder in a mausoleum. A ghoul. And Snybeer does some really great horror work here. He creates this real surreal, quiet space for all of us and Abe to get freaked out by. Up in the boat, Sal says Abe's been down there a while. And the captain explains how Abe might have to search the whole boat and he might have to cut open a few hatches. It takes time, the captain says. Well, as long as I've got you to keep me company, Sal says. Because <laughs> we know he hates the captain, right? Back in the sub, we see Abe and we see that he did have to cut through a couple hatches, right? We see his oh, path. Yeah. We see the welding tool and stuff like that. I like, he, that, I like that little pen that's kind of floating. Oh, yeah. That's the pen that he was using to write. Yeah. It, yeah that's a nice little detail. Abe comes across. Yosef and the Bergenet. And as Abe takes the crate with the helmet, he feels sympathy for Yosef. I hope you didn't suffer too much. I hope you found peace, Abe thinks. Abe climbs up into the boat, and the captain's pretty happy he's back so quickly. There was a timely service bonus attached to this job, wasn't there now? The captain asks. If you say so, Abe responds, just get us out of here. So Abe and Sal, they go to lock up the Bergenet. What do you think of the design here on it? Dude, it is super awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of got a really surreal design with uh, all the different eyes and everything. It's really cool. And then like uh, like the bottom part underneath the eyelids, kind of like those teeth. Oh, yeah. I like yeah. that. It, it, it's like... It's a really unique design. Yeah. I like it a lot. But it looked really scary in battle. You know, yeah, something Anything like that kind of rushing. Anything that's both weird and beautiful always yeah. ends up being scary. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, especially if he's rushing at you with a guy. Sure, sure. <laughs> Full of arrows. arrows. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Sal's wondering if it's really magic. Can I just say also? I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. I love uh, the way this artist draws Abe. Yeah, I saw it's somebody, so hit or miss for me. So I really like this. Somebody on the no. Mike Manuela's art Facebook page has some of the pencils from this, some oh, of the actual pages, oh, and they nice. were sharing them the other day. I'll see if I can find that post, but they looked really good. And Abe says he'll reserve his judgment on whether it's magic or not. I need to get it to O'Donnell at headquarters. Abe says O'Donnell. Yeah, yeah. And and Sal, he asks Abe if he can score a trip back. 
He's sick of smelling haggis. What the hell is he doing? Abe exclaims. And we see the captain. He's sending another crew member down in the wreckage in a deep diving suit. Like, come on, man. Yeah, and Abe comes out. He's like, Captain Sullivan, I told you I wanted to get underway. Like, let's get the fuck out of here. And the captain's like, we will be doing that, but you already did the hard work. We thought we'd just take a look and see if there's anything worth coming back for. And Abe's like, back for what? Well, now, some folks out there, they'd pay for a decent artifact or two. And Abe's like, no, absolutely not. This is not what the Bureau paid for. You're telling a government that you're going to do illegal scavenging. Oh, well, it's international water, so... Oh, okay. Yeah, and that's why they made the point of mentioning that earlier when he was like, there's only one thing left to do. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right, you're right. Okay. So he's... And and the captain... (laughs) Yeah. very bold. He's just like, well, we're going to do some fucking scavenging over here. Yeah, and he's like, it's my (laughs) ship and it's my crew, and he has to seize this opportunity, and then Sal's kind of agreeing with him, too. And Abe's like, let the captain make his own arguments. Abe and the captain continue to argue... And suddenly, the crew member in the deep diving suit, he exclaims, Behind you, damn it! Look behind you! And so they turn around and look. Awful, awful, (laughs) awful, awful. What do you think about this guy? No, I will not look at it. Oh, man, his face has fallen off. Yeah, so we, this guy, so this is Yosef. This is the guy that was watching the Burgonet. He's coming on board. And this depiction of him is just incredible. Oh, I mean, all his bad. all his skin is kind of loose and coming off, and he's got this bulging where all his organs are and everything. And he's definitely got a, like a bloated like, yeah. look that you would all have right, if you'd been right. underwater. Okay, all right. <laughs> and uh, so Sal's reaction is to pull his gun and just start shooting at it. Well, we'll we'll get to that. Sal goes for his gun. We cut to this Russian ship, and we learn that they're going towards the same wreckage that Abe and Sal are at, and also they're ready to engage. We get this little side plot where this guy is like, oh, well, I don't think you know there's anything that we need to worry about. And he's like, oh, well, we're always expected to be engaged. Back with Sal and Abe, you know, Sal, he shoots the zombie. He's like, goddamn zombie. And then there's this panel where all the guts just come okay, so no, wait. out. <laughs> First of all, gross. But then he says zombie so we are in a world where he is aware of zombies right yeah whether it be pop culture or from real life or because he says he hasn't seen much he's only been with right. the brg yeah, for a little yeah, bit yeah. but he does expect to see some paranormal shit and after all this shit he knows about zombies whether again from pop culture <laughs> or training motherfucker shoots him in the chest right yeah that's not gonna do why anything. are you not shooting this guy in the brain if you think it's a zombie okay it would have been better off for him to pull the gun and abe to be like no wait or something like instead of he, he just looks like a total fucking idiot shooting him in the chest because yeah. you just exclaimed that you saw a zombie and you proceed to shoot it in the chest. What? What? And so after all the guts spill out, no, gross. you know the captain he runs off and Sal hurls off to the side. He says and it, it, it's not real, but then why are you running from it? Right. If it's not real. And so Abe just looks at the thing and he's like, "It's it's you." I think he's saying it, it ain't real, it ain't real, because his brain is, uh, he can't process Sure, what yeah, seeing, absolutely. You know? No, of course, yeah. yeah. And so this guy throws up, which I would have already probably passed out before <laughs> I even had a chance to throw up. But yes, throwing up is the correct response. And then all this going on, that dude's still dangling from the crane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I mean. That is pretty funny. Yeah. 
So Yosef, this zombie guy, he starts climbing up the ladder and everything and sounds like, you can't let that thing on board. But I really like this. Abe is like, wait, I want to see what happens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love this about Abe because he's very like, y'all are overreacting, guys. Yeah, that's great. He's like, get out of that damn diving suit. He's like, I just want to investigate what's going on. Well, like Aubrey said, this poor guy's just hanging there. His face, <laughs> his the look on his face is so, he's just like, um. You know, I bet you. Can you imagine just hanging there? I, I bet you that place doesn't smell very good right now no. yeah In, inside the diving <laughs> suit i don't want to think about that oh my god i can't seriously please so back with the russian ship you know they're combat ready we're getting the idea that you know one combat of the, ready it's the fucking white bell bottoms okay yeah one of these guys thinks it's escalated but i want to be ready we and so we we're reading this we know they're going to run into abe and that ship and so here are all these Russians that are combat ready, and we know that they're going to eventually get to where Abe and Sal are. So it's kind of setting up like there's going to be a conflict here. This one guy, Vasily, he's the young guy. The older guy says that they have to bribe most of their men to do these missions, but he volunteered. And Vasily explains that he saw a ghost, and it was so terrifying. He's trying to chase that feeling. Yeah, so this guy, he wants to encounter this, right? So he's trying to recapture that feeling with the special sciences. So weird. Ugh, I can't look at this anymore. <laughs> back can't. with back with Abe and Sal, they're watching this dead Yosef stare at the safe where they've locked Melchore's Bergenet. And Abe explains to Sal, look, you're in the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. Research is important, too. Thank you, Abe. Research is very important. And defense, not <laughs> offense. <laughs> Yeah, research, dog. So he starts getting Sal to come along with him, right? And Sal's like, he's trying. he starts trying to figure out why this one dead guy, the one that was with the Bergenet, is now reanimated and the others aren't. So Sal's like, right, right. Uh, it somehow brought that thing back to life. Three decades alone with it. All the exposure to the Holy Rays or whatever. And Abe's like, maybe. So <laughs> yeah. like, Abe, like, I think this guy's kind of, his mind is running away with him. But Abe's just kind of like, he's just glad that he's gotten him to come along with him yeah, on his Abe's- side. <laughs> I liked your I liked your read on that. Yeah. That was good. And and so Sal's like, we hit the jackpot. This is huge. This is my ticket back stateside. He's like, so what do we do with the monster? Lasso him and haul him overboard? I mean, we just don't need it, just the helmet, right? And Abe's like, slow down, Sal. He's like, hear me out. And then Sal's like, no, we are not taking that leaky sack of stink with us. No way. And then here all of a sudden the captain comes with all of his lackeys and they have weapons. They're ready to fight. Oh my god. Some makeshift weapons. <laughs> and I really like Abe's response here. He says, hello, Captain. I was beginning to think your idea of running a ship was to run around it. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the captain has totally misinterpreted what's happening here. He thinks the helmet is raising the dead, and he has this vision of all these zombies coming aboard and killing everybody, right? I really love Abe's casualness in dealing with the situation. He just puts his hand on his chin. He's, like, laying back, just looking at this yeah. dead thing. <laughs> He's like, just- no, I don't think so. So I think, uh, yeah. He says, there's a bigger picture here, or maybe a smaller one. If you give me a few minutes. And there's just, I, I just think it's hilarious. There's something about Snybeer's style, you know, um, right. like when we saw those frog ghosts. Yeah. You know, there yeah. was something very humorous about all that grotesqueness and these frog ghosts just kind of standing there. And I feel like he does a similar thing with this yeah, zombie monster, right? It's just, there's something hilarious about it. The captain's continuing to argue, and he's like, well, this is my boat, and then Abe kind of loses it. He, he sort of snaps at him yeah, and says, 
damn it, Captain, uh, are you really going to make me say this? You're under contract with the United States federal government. Don't you know what that means? I've heard enough about how this is your boat. And then the guy, he looks like his feelings are hurt. And yeah, I kind of feel bad for he's him. He's kind of bit. shocked. And Abe's got his finger in his face and yeah, everything. Yeah, that's a little much. And just then one of the crew members comes up and he's like, Captain, we just got a call from a Navy cruiser. The Soviet, Soviet Navy. Navy. So now that Soviet yeah. boat is coming, right? Although, you know, if you think about it, had they left when Abe told him to leave? Yes. Uh, well, yes, of course. The you know the Yosef uh, zombie guy who's not really doing anything would no. probably be swimming after them. He'd right probably now. be swimming after the boat. You're <laughs> and right. And I can see how that would be very frustrating for Abe and everything. And so I just kind of feel this captain. He's doing the best he can. Right. You know, he's not a a man of great stature or right. standing. He's you know, just kind of. A, and, and it's I, the only thing he's got is the and, boat. And there's yeah. kind of this idea, too, because Sal has been subject to this for a long time, and he's, like, waving at the captain, but at the same time going, hi, you friggin' nut, but he's kind of holding it back, yeah. whereas Abe is like, Abe is like, fuck no, I'm not going to take this. I'm right. tired you of know? this and shit. I, <laughs> I've yeah. only been here for a little bit, but I'm not going to take any more of this. So we get a flashback here, and we see where Yosef is assigned to watch the Bergenet, and so we see him holding that thing of Oana's. And so we saw that earlier. So I like this kind of idea. We had this little brief flashback where we saw this guy walking by with the with this yeah, slab. And then now we see that it's that main character. And <laughs> we see that he was recruited by Vivara. Yay! I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. So we're excited to kind of see Vivara here. We haven't seen her in a while. This and is she, a great little depiction of her. She's playing a little string game. Yeah. She, yep. This one is called Opening A, if you do those string activities. Oh. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, and she uh, hands it over to Yosef. She's like, careful not to tangle it. I remember really used to cute. doing those when I was a uh, when I was when I was a kid. Right. I couldn't but, do it now though. Yeah. <laughs> in context, you know, it's this demon who's really interested in right, stuff that humans yeah. do. So it's like figuring out how to play these little games and uh, it's a very charming representation of her too. I really like um the way she's depicted here. She looks like a child. Yeah. You know, again, we don't get this weird, creepy drawing an adult that is very small. Right. It looks like a child and um, is very charming the way that she's colored, too. She's, it seems that the brightness is and the contrast is turned up just on her. Yeah. So yeah. she's just kind of, it's it's not, I, I don't want to say washed out. I want to say just like brighter just because right. you get the impression that maybe she's illuminated kind oh, of slightly yeah. almost. Mm. And that really adds so much and to it and also like this kind of idea of like what's the word i'm looking for when you have a uh not a mirage a uh glamour oh okay so it's uh, kind of yeah. almost gives the impression that there's like sort of a glamour there and that well and we have seen references to that in 1946 exactly, yeah. Yeah, so the I, demon was behind it yes yeah. and i so i really like how it's it's a very beautiful kind of depiction of of this character and i was really excited to see her and so but of course, she has bad news for this guy, and she's the reason that he came right. to this tragic yes, end and exactly. is still kind of... Well, I wouldn't say it was so. bad news. I mean, it wasn't like they wanted the sub to sink. No, but I mean, well, he... No, of course, but I mean, it's it's bad news for him because he was like, oh, I was I had permission to go on leave to right. go celebrate oh, with my right, wife, right. and it's her birthday, and... Can you imagine like, oh, you're in the army and you're about to get some time off to go spend with your wife for her birthday and then someone's like, actually, no. You're going to spend five so weeks looking at this crate. And that ends up being your death. Like yeah. that's so, anyway, but. It is very tragic in retrospect. Yeah. I do like this panel at the top where they're walking through and you yes. see all this weird stuff in there. So there's something that looks kind of like a plesiosaur hanging from the top. We talked about the Ogopogo there's recently. Like weird, there's like a weird plant. What is that weird plant thing? It's so really odd. Cool. Yeah. 
And then um, it's neat looking. <laughs> and then the con like them walking, like you said. I also like you know it's this little tiny girl in this little frilly dress next yes. to this giant soldier, <laughs> and she's giving him orders. It's exactly. really interesting. And then um, the, also the last panel at the bottom right hand of the that's the one that I wanted the to page. talk about. I really yeah. dig that. Yeah, I really like how he draws Vivara there, and yes. just like you were saying, really kind of adds to that juxtaposition that this is a little girl, but that look that she's giving him is a very kind of knowing. It seems like kind of like a mature. Yeah. You know, you get the idea that this is a child that knows something She's more. She's like a little porcelain doll. Yes, yeah. But is a very wise and ancient yes, demon. Yes. I like <laughs> so, I so like much how, is conveyed in that one little Sorry, panel. Aubrey keeps trying to say sorry, something. Go ahead, sorry, go Aubrey. Uh, I, just, I like how uh, how when they're still walking, he's still got the uh, string on his hand yes. the whole way. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. Well, and he very it's very sad. He's like, oh, but it's a special occasion. I have I have a weekend pass to see my wife, and she's like, don't worry, she can celebrate with her father and brothers. I'll send her a box of chichkella. Yeah, I don't know so, how that's pronounced, but so those are grape and walnut candies. Yeah, I actually looked this up too. And oh, okay. The pictures of it um, that I saw on—I just googled it, of course. Yeah. But the pictures were gorgeous. They're really, really beautiful. And I was like, oh, this is this is beautiful. Right. How how gorgeous! And then I I looked it up and how it's made. It's like you basically string together a bunch of walnuts, dip it in a kind of a grape paste mm. until it's dry. Keep dipping it, kind of like a candle. Oh, okay. But then uh, I I was like, oh, that seems interesting. And so then you can use any kind of nut you want. There's all different kinds of nuts, and then you can use any kind of fruit paste that you want. So okay. there's all kinds of different nice. fruit flavors and colors. And so seeing them all strung up together, there they look really beautiful and gorgeous. I've never actually tried to eat them, but there is a Russian general store near our yeah, house. We so we should go see if we can find some of that. Yeah. Oh, man. If you get some, I would like to try some. Sure, yeah. We'll I check mean, that out. I love walnuts. And I love grapes. I never thought about putting the two together. Well, there's <laughs> all different kinds of, I think, flavors or whatever if you... And this is supposedly some sort of like... Um, it's like a handmade thing that you do. Right, right. And it's... You know, they sell it at the traditional festivals and things right. like that. So nice. that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Moving on. <laughs> so Vivara, she tells Yosef that this is an important mission and she will not forget his service. And then she sings a song as she skips away and this song is Koro Beniki or The Peddlers. It is a 19th century Russian folk song that tells a story of a meeting between a peddler and a girl describing their haggling over goods as a metaphor for courtship. Mm. And outside Russia, this song is widely known as the Tetris theme. From its, a- from its appearance in the Nintendo Game Boy version of the game. So oh, this song wow. that she's singing, I looked up a version of this and I found a version of a woman singing it. What? So I'll post that. That's but great. it's the actual Tetris song. Oh, That's that, is... that song. Dun, 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 we know dun. it, yeah. the Tetris song. But it has oh, lyrics yeah. to it and everything. I did not know that. So, I thought that song was created for the game. <laughs> no, it was an already it was already a Russian folk song, and that's the song that Vivara is singing right here. It's a Russian I, folk song. Yeah. That's that's pretty awesome. Well, and the the screen that always comes up is the Russian. I just found this some article in my childhood. On the opening screen of the tetris game there's an image of a cathedral okay saint basil's cathedral red square moscow russia nice so that's what it is i didn't know any of this good job that's really interesting so i learned some stuff about tetris yeah it's a, and a the nice, song. nice little tangent and i'll put a clip of that song in there so y'all can enjoy it and so she leaves Yosef with the crate with the burgonet in it. And the uh, metal is so lovingly rendered on the safe. Yeah, it it's really is. It's difficult to, you know, get that right when you're drawing it.
back with Abe and the captain. They decide to get moving. Abe says he'll take care of the thing. So you are going to throw it overboard, Sal says. Look at him, Abe says. He didn't sink his teeth into any of us. Never took so much as a swing at you, even after you shot him. I'm saying, look at him. What is he doing? I will not he's, look at him. I he's won't. doing his job. He's doing and I his, love yeah. this panel of yeah. Abe. It's just like, God, I love him so much. He's so and cute. it's so hilarious, too. There's just, there's an almost um, X-Files, like uh, sure, those, exactly, yes. the, um, I keep wanting to say Buster Oakley gets his wish. That's not what it's called. Jose Chung's from Outer Space. Yes, Jose Chung's from Outer Space. Like it kind of reminds me of that kind of yes, absolutely that kind of humor, uh, sci-fi humor. Yeah, I love Abe here. Like like you said, I I agree with that. <laughs> I really like that, and that it it does have that X Files feel. I think Mulder would be the one. He'd be like, "Wait, Scully, but what's he doing? Right, he's doing his job." And she'd just look at him like. Oh <laughs> By some miracle, Abe says, after decades of being dead and rotting, he's alive again. And what's the first thing he does? He picks up right where he left off, guarding the Bergenet. It's still important to him, even now. Why? The more, the further we go, the more this, you really hit the nail on the head. Now all I can think about is like Mulder (laughs) saying all this stuff. And so Abe starts opening the safe and they're like, what are you doing? And Abe says, look, the Russians, they're probably going to chase us as soon as they find the helmets missing. And in a cruiser, they'll catch us too. So he gives the the helmet to Yosef. And then we get this flashback right here. And this is really sad because his wife, she, it's almost like she knows that something terrible is going to happen. Yeah. And she's like, you know, please don't go. And he's like, I have to, you know, they told me it was important. And I said, I would do it. And so I must. Instead of getting a nice little weekend with her husband for her birthday. Right. You know, this horrible, heart-wrenching And he calls her, yeah, he calls her his little cabbage. I thought that was sweet. And so he's like, I have to get back to the barracks or they will miss me. And she goes, make me a promise of it, Yosef. And so he does. He says, after the mission, I'll come home to you and never leave. And then so we see Abe and Sal, they're riding off. And we see the captain sulking. And Sal kind of feels sorry for him. Abe goes, you held a very different opinion this morning. Yeah, he called him a douche in the morning. And so uh, Sal's like, look, I know you felt you had to do it, but the way you yelled at him, what you said, he's just a poor captain of an old rust bucket. You take that away from him, what does he have? And Abe's like, not a lot, I suppose, but then we didn't come away with much either. You know, Sal's like, the Ruskies must be there by now going after our helmet. And Abe says, I wouldn't worry about it too much, Sal. I radioed the Vatican with all the details. Trust me, the Pope will humiliate the Kremlin into handing it over in no time. The special sciences service, I expect, will take the brunt of that. But until then, I say we just let them do their job. And so we see that guy, Vasily. He's going to go in there and he's going to find this. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, that's what's going to happen. I like that this kind of ending that Vasily is going to have to go in there and you know, get this away from Yosef. We already, they're going to go through the same thing that, yeah. uh, that Abe and Sal just did. So what a great ending to that story. I really like this one. It just had a very, for all its grotesqueness, it was very kind of an upbeat and yeah. somewhat positive story. Right. You know, even though it had some tragic moments. You know, and like the whole time it's going, I thought, oh shit, they're going to be fighting like the Russians and this like thing. And then it, no, it just turned a completely different corner. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they set that up like something was going to happen and then it didn't. Yeah, I love that. And so our last story today is Abe Sapien, The Devil Does Not Jest. Okay, this cover. 
is fucking incredible. Yeah, we oh, have yeah. another amazing Dave Johnson cover with colors by Dave Stewart, and yeah, it's incredible. This is a cover. Yeah, and I would I would put this one on my wall as well. <laughs> I put inc- them all on my wall. What am I fucking talking about? It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, really, it's so I love the psychedelic aspect. Yeah, of it. this was published as a two issue miniseries from September to October 2011, written by Mignola and Arcudi. Art by James Heron. We finally get James Heron in here. He's one of my favorite Hellboy and BPRD artists. Colors by Dave Stewart and letters by Clem Robbins. And we talked about the covers were by Dave Johnson. So we open up and we see this horrific scene with Abe. And it just says, got a surprise for you. And so we see Abe. He's on the ground and he's being bitten by these weird teeth monsters. And then That's a good way to describe them. Yeah. (laughs) And we cut to the BPRD headquarters of spring of 19... 85. 85. And we see Abe, he's like, what makes you think I like surprises? And so we see Sal again. So I like that the this guy Sal is there again. I like seeing him <laughs> and Abe together. I like this book that's behind Abe's head that says, like, Circumnavigation Hell. Right. We also <laughs> see, it says Garver Van Lair. And we're going to talk about Van Lair more in this story. But Van Lair was also one of those occultists that we saw the little picture of in the one that Santiago Caruso did. And one of the little pictures said Van Lair. So I like that um, that kind of continuity. He's got a whole stack of Van Lair books. Yeah. And so... Circumnavigating hell is still funny. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so Sal's like... He's like, Abe, you're going to like this one. Consider it another installment of my thanks for getting me the hell out of Scotland. And so Sal, he knows the grandson of Van Lair. And, that's, and I guess Abe is obsessed with these books. He's read all of them. So, you know, Abe's coming along with him. And then in the hallway, they see Liz, right? She goes, hi, Salvatore. How you've been? Abe and Salvatore goes, hey, Sherman. Uh, yeah, she just keeps walking. So then... Abe meets with this uh, grandson of Van Lair. Yeah. I'd still like to be on this for a second. Okay, here. go ahead. She gives Salvatore a, a really, hiya, Salvatore, have you been? Right. Abe. Yeah. It's a little. <laughs> yeah. Okay. She says a lot to him. Yeah. But she, there's almost no relationship there. <laughs> right. Right. And so then with Abe, it's very, very brief. And She's known him for a long time. Known him for a super long yeah. time. They have a relationship. It's a very close relationship. And is very so. I, I I like that kind of little insight into Liz there. I think that's cool. Yeah, and Abe he goes and he meets with the grandson of Van Lair, and so this this guy he's telling him all about Van Lair, and he says that his grandfather left his grandma for one of his grad students. I do not like those glasses frames. Oh yeah. <laughs> so well, they're the, very of the time. They are they're very 80s, of the time. Yeah. Yes. I didn't like them back then. No. Yeah. <laughs> And so his grandfather started a new life with this other woman, and it led him to start seriously practicing theurgy. I didn't look that up, what theurgy is. What is that? Theurgy, the operation or effect of a supernatural or divine agency in human affairs, a system of white magic practiced by early Neoplatonists. Nice. Thank you for that. Neoplatonists. Oh, wait, here's some more of it. Theurgy describes practice of rituals sometimes seen as magical in nature, performed with the intention of invoking the action or evoking the presence of one or more deities, especially with the goal of achieving some stuff. Anyway. Nice. <laughs> and we'll see that a little yeah, bit yeah. more. And so... So uh, magic. Yes. It's a lot of words that just say they're doing magic. <laughs> and so this guy, he found this weird parchment. Kind of odd, the little picture on there, but it's kind of telling his dad that he had another brother. As far as I know, it's the only communication sent between them after the split. And so he tells Abe that he lost his father in March, but I found an uncle. Uncle Turner's not a bad guy, but kooky. Well, a lot kooky. 
And he tells him that he's been living in this house all alone after all these years. And so they're going to go check it out. Apparently, they have got all of Garvner's paperwork from Vandrist University and all of his journals. So Abe's like, are you sure it's okay that I'm here? And the guy's like, when I explain that you're a fan of my grandfather, it'll be fine. And he also tells him, you might want to leave that gun in the car, though. And so Abe kind of gets distracted. And he's like, oh, you didn't tell me there was a lake there. He's kind of, he gets, uh, mm-hmm. he, that mm-hmm. kind of draws him over a little bit. Yeah. And the guy's like, does it matter? And he's like, I hope not. So then he, he's like. I'm going to have to fucking go in there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the guy goes in and Abe's just like hanging out. And I like that he just hangs out at the water. Yeah. He just goes there to kind of sit there for a little bit. And then the most incredibly fucked up thing happens. Yeah. So he hears, no, Uncle Turner, stop. And. Abe just starts running, and I kind of want to talk about this a little bit more as we go on, but I really love James Heron's work, Yeah, and he does this thing where, I don't know how to describe it, but I feel like he messes with the perspective and with the detail where you actually see like it's moving. Uh Uh-huh. Like Mm -hmm. it it looks like the pictures are, I don't know how to describe it, but he does really make the panels move. He really does evoke all of this energy, and as Abe is running up like that, you kind of get the sense of that. Right. We talked about this with Mignola style a little bit, like yeah. that's how it would look yeah. if you were watching something move that quickly. Yeah, you're yeah. not going to you know? see all the lines in the floorboards; you're just yes. going to see streaks yes, of color. Yes, exactly. And so that's kind of what I feel here. Yeah. So Abe goes in there, and the uncle is just chopping up the Horrible. grandson. Right? No, I'm not even going to look at this page. It's so and awful. so Abe just totally shoots the guy. And this is what I love about James Heron, too. He just does all this kind of really messed up stuff uh, really well, you know, hearkening back to the Guy Davis gore stuff that we saw in the BPRD. So, yeah. you know, but Abe just shoots that guy immediately. Yeah. Which it, is classic Abe. Abe yeah. Just, <laughs> bam. Yeah, he's not going to wait until this guy comes at him with a fucking axe, you know, he's just shoot him. So we cut to Abe's there with the sheriff, I guess, right? He's called the police now, and now they're investigating it too. But the sheriff's like, look, I radioed this to my dispatcher, and she'll patch it through to the state troopers and to your superiors, but until then, I need your weapon. So he tells Abe that, you know, since I can't verify, I guess, that you're really with the government or whatever, you know. And so Abe's like, of course, you know, I'll, I'll give you my weapon. Cooperating with local law enforcement yes. here. I like this part where the sheriff says, why the gun? And Abe says, that's an influence of a colleague I train with. He tells me, listen to the boy. And then right when he's saying that, they hear this banging. So they go check it out. And the cop, he insists on going on his own. And Abe's like, Sheriff, I'm a trained enforcement agent. I think I should. And he's like, no, you stay right there. So he goes to go check it out. And then, of course, we hear Uh, screaming and we hear gunshots. And then so Abe, you know, he screams for the sheriff and we see him run again after this. And then he opens the door and he sees this like glowing skull. Yeah, it's like a weird ghost skull. I love this effect as it's kind of like hanging there and it kind of leaves this tracer as it moves along. It reminded me of uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time, those like floating fire skull things. Yeah. Yeah, I love the I love the coloring here, like you were saying, as it's floating along like the little tracer or whatever that, that it leaves behind. It's a really nice effect, and it looks like extremely difficult. It sure, looks very yeah. difficult to do that, how it's all spotty and everything. And Abe, he runs after whatever this thing is. And when he runs in there, he starts getting like bitten and ripped up by all these like teeth monsters or whatever. And again, the way that James Heron does this action and the way he does these monsters is just so awesome. It's um, really fantastic work. And then Abe finishes his quote. 
listen to the Boy Scouts, Abe. Be prepared. And so I guess that's what Hellboy <laughs> tells him, yeah. right? He says, this is oh, from yeah. the colleague that I train with. And Abe just goes to town on these guys. And I just love, I mean, it's incredible, the action as Abe is stabbing. So he pins one to the wall with the knife. And then he's fighting this other one that starts biting him. And he takes that one and he pins it against the ground or is it against the wall? And he just starts punching the shit out of it. And as this like yellow blood and all this stuff goes flying, it's just really incredible. And like I was saying, I mean, you really get the sense of impact and, you know, like these two pages where he punches and then it splatters back into his face. Like it really, I can see that, you know what I mean? I can see the motion. And then at the bottom panel, this one that's pinned up against the wall is just like splitting blood or whatever, just hanging there. It's so fucking cool. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, this whole thing is in its, the whole like scene from like when it starts and it just flows one one panel to the next yes very kinetic energy yeah it's gorgeous to look at and it really does flow from each panel and then abe comes over he finds his gun he's like great now i find you and he just comes (laughs) over to that one that's pinned to the wall and he just shoots the shit out of it this is just so cool this is a nice action moment for him so he goes looking for the sheriff and he finds this one door that looks like it's been broken down There was like a light attached to it. So he lights it and he looks down there and he sees the sheriff. The sheriff looks pretty beat up. He's on the stairs. And then underneath on the ground, what did did you think about this? That's a dead demon. It's like this giant pool and it's got this Uh, demon head or something. This is incredible. Like just, can you imagine finding something like this? uh, It kind of reminded me of when Hellboy found that thing in the bottom of that house. Yeah. What was that? Sullivan's Reward or something like that? Oh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like a dead decomposing demon. (laughs) Gross. And so Abe turns around and he gets knocked in the head by this giant woman monster, right? And so in the sketchbook, there's some James Heron sketches of it, and he calls it the Momster. <laughs> I like <laughs> it. It's pretty good. And so it knocks Abe out. Surprise. And we cut to back at the BPRD. We have this scene with Sal and Liz. She goes, hey, Salvatore. And he goes, Sherman, what's up? Why do you do that? She says, I call you by your first name, but with you, it's always, hey, Sherman. What kind of guy talks to a woman that way? And he goes, sorry about that. Five years in the Navy, you know. Okay, Liz, what's shaking? And she goes, Broom wants to see you in his office right away. <laughs> He's like, oh, shit. Something about Abe, I think. So Sal knows that Abe went on this secret mission or whatever. And so that was kind of just between them. But now I guess Broom knows that uh, Sal's in on this. And so Sal comes over to Broom's office and he opens the door and Hellboy's in there oh, too. Man. I like that. And yeah. Hellboy's like, how's it going? You've met Hellboy, of course, Broom says. And Sal goes, actually, no. I." And he goes, good, good, Agent Tasso. We received a call from the sheriff's office in Maine where they tell me Agent Sapien was involved in a shooting. And so Sal's like, a shooting? And he's like, yes, in Maine. Worse still is that now the sheriff's dispatcher seems unable to find the sheriff himself. Something I think that we can all agree is a bad sign. You know, they're going to call the state troopers and stuff. But Broom says, let's not just rely on the state troopers, shall we? So we get the idea that Sal and Hellboy are going to have a little trip, too. And they're going to go up there to try and help Abe. And Sal, you know, he's really worried that something terrible might have happened. But Hellboy reassures him. He says, don't worry about it. The old guy still thinks of us as little kids. Don't get me wrong. It's a good idea to go check this out. But I know Abe, and he can take care of himself. Well, you know, Sal's like... It's got to be like an eight-hour drive. And Hellboy's like, they have airports in Maine. (laughs) (laughs) 
But Hellboy says, yeah, Abe can take care of himself. And then we cut to Abe. This is where he's on the ground being chewed on by all those monsters. And then we see something weird here. Is the ghost of Garver there? Or is Abe just like hallucinating this? I don't know. I thought the ghost was there, but then he hallucinated the... uh like about the author yeah he, he, he so he's like his mind is kind of telling him this is where he knows that guy from i really like that little detail it gives you so much in just one little panel without having to describe it garver or this ghost of garver or whatever is telling abe that he's hallucinating already this is the first sign of infection from your bites I like uh, you seen the uh, the giant skull in the back. I mean, that yeah. thing is fucking huge. And just uh, Heron's work on this is just really awesome. It's just fantastic. There's something about this art style that's just kind of very surreal. It's got this kind of fluid. It just it just moves really well. I like it a lot. And so Garver he tells Abe his story about how. He had a new home and a new life and a new baby boy. But like any other fool, I saw bigger things for myself. With the academia taken from me, there was only one avenue open, wasn't there? And so we see this is where he's practicing that theurgy. Is that what it was called? And so he's like summoning this demon or whatever. And he's like, but for all that, I was a fool. Why could I have wanted a bridge between hell and earth? We've talked about this all the time. Like, why do people do this? (laughs) And he's even questioning himself in retrospect. Did I think I could control whatever came across that bridge i don't know and then we see this thing come out of the ground and this is just i love this page i mean yeah incredible just some really awesome work and i really like the way that james heron this creature design is really well done we see the monster come out when it comes out of this hole it reaches up through the house and it claws at the wife and still i thought it would be okay garver says that my books would show me how to fix it and we see in the flashback that he's trying to find some other answers in this book but all i found there was the power to trap to hurt and to kill and these panels are amazing he kind of like takes control of the monster because i like how if you notice um when the hole closes up, the color palette changes. Mm-hmm. It kind of dries out a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or something. Well, all the hellfire De- desaturates. Just, yeah. yeah. The hole closes up around him, so the hellfire is not there anymore right. to illuminate the monster. You just really get a nice effect of that with the color, too. Yeah. And then we see, like, he does something that I guess kills the monster or rips all its blood out Awful. of it or something. I like the uh, right right when the hole closes up, the the demon's face has got a like a, yeah. He's like, "What the fuck's going on?" No, here? no, I'm trapped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't have the power to heal, and so we see his wife has this. She was cut on her arm where the demon scratched her. They couldn't do a thing for Lee in the hospital, so I brought her home. A scratch. That's all it was, just a scratch. And so we see she's progressively becoming more fucked up. Her arm is getting all big. Cut it off. And on this last panel, I like this kind of evil look. She's got like red eyes and she's sitting up with this giant mutated arm. That arm is reminding me a little bit of uh, Tetsuo's from Akira. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So we see, I guess she bit the little kid too. Garver mentions sulfamethin. It saved Turner's life. So after she bit him, they were able to save the kid with that medicine. And it also kept her from hurting anyone else. While I just grew old. And I love this parallel, these two panels down here. We see Garver writing his journal, and then we see Abe is reading it. I like the symmetry of those two. So Abe, he comes up out of the attic, and he sees the sheriff there, and he starts helping him out. You know, the sheriff has two broken arms. And Abe says, your radio will get us all the help we need. But then when they go out there, the car is all smashed to bits, right? 
I'll be honest. I honestly thought that, that the sheriff was dead because it that one panel, I thought he was dead too. Yeah, it looked like he got shot in the head. <laughs> it did. Yeah, but I think he just got beaten. Yeah. But I was like, oh, good. He's not dead. Since the car is messed up, Abe goes back in the house to try and find the medicine. And when he's looking around in there, he sees that weird floating skull. And when he shines the flashlight on it, I love how it's like it's projected on that monster thing. It's such a neat effect. And the way that it's colored and drawn is just, I don't know. It's just fabulous. I don't know how to describe it, but it just really is a cool almost illusion or something yeah, i don't know awesome. yeah yeah and so abe has this awesome action sequence with this thing and he's shooting at it and it's like swinging at this at him with a giant arm and again james heron's work is just incredible the way that he does his action scenes and the way that he does these objects moving across the page and it kind of throws abe down through the house and the sheriff's down there and he's calling for abe He's telling him, oh, we're, we're dead. Jesus, we're dead as this giant thing comes up on him. And so Abe looks over and he sees this axe in the ground. That's the axe that the uncle was using to kill yes. the grandson. So horrible. And so he's like, not yet. And he takes the axe and he just chops the head. He slices the head of this thing. I like the axe also kind of looks like a firefighter's axe. Oh, not, yeah, not, yeah. Not like a woodsman's axe. And this bottom panel where they're just standing there in front of this thing while like kind of all this yellow blood is coming out of it. We cut back to Hellboy and Sal coming in the car. I like the idea that Hellboy, like they're in such a small car yeah. that his right <laughs> hand does not fit in it and he has to leave it hanging out the window. And the uh, car is leaning. Yeah, it's <laughs> leaning to that side because yeah. of the weight of it. I really like that. So they pull up to the place and they see the smashed car. And so Sal's like, oh, God, I knew it. There was trouble. Poor Abe. And Hellboy's like, calm down. Of course there's trouble. But stop worrying about Abe. This sheriff fella, he's our priority now. Believe me, I trained Abe. The guy's prepared for just about anything. And then so we see Abe crash outside <laughs> with his and he's still fighting this monster. Ugh. And he's just flying around. He's chopping at it's it. Fucking axe. And he finally chops it. In the head hole, <laughs> right? Where the head was chopped off right. and, it, and it says splutch. Awful. I like, that. <laughs> I like the way you say it, head hole. <laughs> yeah. And again, James Heron just does such an incredible work here with he's, Abe. He's so tired. He's like leaning on his axe. He's covered yes, in gore. I love that. It and finally stopped it, right? Yeah. Was, hey, hey, pal. And he's oh, hey. It's very. Yeah, hey, this is uh, Sheriff Brown. He needs sulfa, sulfomethin, eh, and... ASAP. Yeah, ASAP. And it's, just, it's just a very... Here's a thing, he needs a thing, we're gonna... Right. I'm, I'm gonna take a shower. And Hellboy's just like, yeah, see, told you. Yeah, and Sal's just staying there shocked, right? Totally <laughs> shocked at this scene. I love this story. So, yeah, it's so funny that Sal and it's Hellboy, good. they get there at the very end when Abe is already taking care of this. And then, yeah, the, the nonchalantness of Abe and Hellboy greeting uh, in this horrific scene where he's covered in all this blood. I, I love right. that all these stories we've just read, they're not afraid to... They don't shy away from humorous moments. Yeah. You know, there's there's yeah. nothing wrong with some humorous beats in the middle of a story about some horrific shit. <laughs> so... And I, I think, yeah, I, I think it it makes the it makes the material just so enjoyable too. Yeah. That you can have all this horror, all these horror elements, and all this uh, really crazy stuff going on, and then these like little beats of character interaction are just yeah. really nice. And so if we go to four oh five in the sketchbook, and again we're looking at the omnibus. There's a nice variant cover by Snybeer for the Abyssal Plane. We also get to see Dave Johnson's designs for the covers. 
And then we also see a Francisco Francavia variant cover for Abe Sapien, The Devil Does Not Jest. We also have the Dave Johnson covers back there, too, which are really nice. That's pretty neat. Yeah, there's a James Heron Christmas card, I guess, that he drew. And it it has Hellboy with a Krampus. And then it says, back at the headquarters, Abe Sapien Dreams of Fish, which is a callback to the chain coffin. And then we also see James Heron's sketches for Abe and for the monster and all the other designs. Yeah, he's one of my favorite artists. Last year... I got to meet James Heron at Comic Palooza, and he drew me an awesome Beast of Apocalypse Hellboy. Yes. So yeah, I'll, I'll share that if uh, if you haven't seen it yet. Real good. And is then that, is that the one you had me pick up for you? Yeah, that is the one I that had. Is, that was James Heron. Yeah, that is a fucking awesome picture. It really is. And then if you look at four twenty one in the sketchbook, there is this awesome Omen variant for Land of the Dead. And it has the Kamazot's bat behind there. And then I like this little Abe's eyes and stuff like that are really cool. There's some nice sketch samples of Santiago Caruso for witchcraft and demonology. All right. Awesome. So, yeah, this has been nice to take a little break and read all these kind of A, B, P, R, D side stories before we get back into our all of our meat, all of our, <laughs> you know, all of the tragedy that's going on in B, P, R, D. And so the it'll main be, course. Yeah, it'll be nice to come back to that next week. And now Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody, share us your thoughts on these uh, Abe Sapien short stories we read today. You can send us a Hey You Damn Guys at HellboyBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And you can find the Discord link on our Facebook page as well as the reading list. Yeah. Mark Trudell. Thank you, Mark Trudell. <laughs> Book Club member. Also, check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com. They do some wonderful work, and I'm really looking forward to getting to read that Matt Strackbine mm-hmm. thing once we get there. Yeah, well, like Matt, Matt Strackbine, he's done. No, he's done some other stuff that we're going to get to soon. Matt Strackbine, cool. so we're going to see some of his some of his stuff. Oh, I know, but I, I, anyway. Uh, <laughs> And also a uh, big shout out to Paul from Gotterhorn for the wonderful theme. Yes. Yeah. Love it. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. And next week, we are talking the BPRD, Hell on Earth, Russia. Yeah. So pull out your back issues, pull out your trays, pull out your lives, arms, digitals, <laughs> the hoop. It is Hoopla, right? Yeah. Yeah, I almost said Hula Hoop. And join us along next week at the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. And I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, feed me or eat me, I just don't give a damn. Oh, goodness. (laughs)